Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Alexi Toliopoulos and Ben Elwood as we break down Denny Villeneuve's 2021 blockbuster, Dune. My name is Justin Hamilton, and if you look closely, you can see the spice in the air here at Big Squid. Welcome to today's show. We have another big week of podcasts for you, starting with today's discussion about the latest take on Dune. Uh, For those of you who have been listening every Monday for our Doctor Who breakdown... During the week last week, Rove and I were discussing that it's the finale and the turnaround on the Monday episodes is pretty tight. Like I get up in the morning, I watch it, uh, I take some notes, I work out like a running order of questions and then we uh, find time to do everything online and uh, put it together for you. But because it's the finale, we wanted to give ourselves just an extra 24 hours to break it down, have a little bit of speculation on the last couple of episodes starring Jodie Whittaker. So that will be available tomorrow on Tuesday. So that episode's going to come. We're just going to give ourselves uh, an extra 24 hours just to let it settle before we give our final thoughts on the six-part series. Interesting ending. Lots to like. A little bit of frustration. Sounds like a typical ending to Doctor Who, doesn't it, right? Anyway, let's not get ahead of ourselves. That will be tomorrow. Then on Thursday, we continue our Space Podacy Limited series with probably a movie that you haven't thought of as science fiction. But it is science fiction. It is just also many other things as well. And that movie is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So keep an eye out for that. It's... uh, God, it's a big science fiction week here, isn't it? That is not intentional at all. It's just the way everything is playing out at this time of the year. 
the big blockbusters, right? It's all it's all sci-fi. Uh, a couple more things before we bring the lads in. Uh, last week, I don't know if you'd be that interested in this, but maybe you will because I would like to thank you. We passed 100,000 downloads for the podcast, which is pretty fantastic. And uh, I'd like to thank every single one of you, uh, whether you're new to the show or one of our OG listeners, it is really appreciated that you took any time to have a listen to our work here. And I'm extremely grateful. It's uh, it's a nice little milestone because it's still a relatively new podcast. And uh, for those of you who actually don't know, this podcast started out as a pitch for a TV show in Australia that would have followed the HBO Watchmen series and was going to break down what happened in every episode. I Look, as you know, I'm a big fan of The Leftovers. I had read the original Watchmen graphic novel when it was separate issues as a kid, when it was coming out monthly, bi-monthly, six-monthly. It kept getting later and later for those old school fans. Uh, So I just had a gut instinct that this series was going to be something phenomenal. And uh, I pitched it and uh, the people at the station didn't share my enthusiasm, and so I thought, well, bugger it, I'll turn it into a podcast, and we had a great time, and it did really well, but I was like, well, that's done. It's all over. You know, it's it's called Big Squid. It literally is all about Watchmen. Where do you go from there? And then the first lockdown hit, and I thought, well, you know, I've got to keep my brain active and I've got to keep working in some way. So I did a second season and that second season was all about the final David Bowie album, Black Star, breaking down all seven tracks on that album, uh, deciphering what could be uh, the meaning behind each song and overall the uh, the effect of that final album. And I uh, it was interwoven with my history of being a Bowie fan going back to 83. Uh, My listeners really enjoyed that, so I started playing around with the format and Big Squid evolved into the podcast that you're listening to today. So thank you once again for being along for the ride from the beginning, or if this is your first episode, welcome to the Big Squid community. This podcast plans to continue to evolve, and I want to challenge myself here while also playing to our strengths, which is a celebration of art and entertainment. If you'd like to be a bigger part of our community, you can sign up to our open and or uh, private Facebook page. We also have a Patreon where you will receive bonus podcasts, works in progress, access to the scripts that go towards every episode, and also have an episode dedicated to you. Our patron shout out today goes to Timena Beagle. Now look, I'm going to be honest with you here. I looked up the pronunciation and I was given two options and each one I clicked on it was Timina or Timina Uh, I don't know if I've picked the right one maybe it's Timina Timina Timothy maybe now that I look at it at first I was thinking it was Timina because it's only one M but then if it's like Timothy maybe we should go with Timina Is that all right, Timina? I hope I've gotten that right for you. Uh, Timina was one of our first sign-ups to the Patreon, and it is very much appreciated. I have no idea if Timina Beagle is even a real name. Is Beagle a real name? Uh, I don't know. I do love the breed of dog. I used to have a Beagle called Bodine. Oh, 
when I was a young fella, he was a very good boy. Well, he was a very naughty boy as a uh, as a puppy. He uh, really chewed on my Millennium Falcon diecast metal spaceship that possibly could have been worth some money now. Maybe not so much with beagle teeth marks in it, but he was such a good dog. I had a lot of uh, love for uh, little Bo, and uh, I have a lot of affection for anyone and anytime I see the Beagle name pop up. So thank you, Timina, for being a part of our community, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Time to bring in Alexi and Ben as we spend our time seeing Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding. Paul must journey to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of spice, the most precious resource in existence, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. Time to enter Denis Villeneuve's 2021 reimagining of Dune. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts. I know you. There's only a way of hanging my mind. You need to face your fears. Come with me. They're not human, they're brutal. The Duke's son sees too much. This is I do. Kill them all. God in heaven. Get everything with guns off the ground! Go! This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. Dad, what if I'm not the future of House Atreides? A great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. 
my son. If anything happens, will you protect Paul? With my life. Only together can we stand a chance. This is the most important question I've ever asked on this podcast, oh and it's going God. to require a little bit of uh, imagination. Huh. Imagine we <laughs> all individually have an 11-year-old, boy or girl, doesn't matter, oh God. and they come home and they say they love <laughs> one of the next three people. No, don't be like that. Sorry. Why are you being like that? <laughs> my kid's great. Don't oh, shit on my sorry, fucking kid. Sorry, I thought you meant that we're like three men and a baby. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. We've all got a child each. Maybe yep. we've got two. Okay. But let's not shit on our children. Let's not shit on our imaginary children. All right, all right. Be a good dad. Yeah, all right. Juzzy Jr., well-adjusted child. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he Hates tenant just to push back against his dad. Is he rebellious no, he doesn't. streak? No, he doesn't. Rebellious streak in this child. No, no, no. No one sucks, Dad. I no. hate obsessive popular culture consumption. No, no. He does hate both of you, but we are we are super close and we are, we are getting along very well. Okay. When he's 13, he'll hate tenant. Yeah, like right. 11, yeah, they're yeah, still yeah. fucking... Yeah. They're still it's on like track the with the you. It's the circus yeah. uh, remaster that leaves the circus to become an accountant. Yeah. All right. So, let's imagine you have a child that's 11 years old, boy or girl, doesn't yeah. matter, and they come home and they say to you they love one of the next three people and I want you to rank them in order of which you're most thrilled about. Mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet, Harry Styles, Tom Holland. Timothy Chalamet, Tom Holland, Harry Styles. Yep. I would swap Tom Holland and Harry Styles. Timothy yeah, so Chalamet, I. number one. Then I'll go Harry Styles and Tom Holland. Yeah, I don't know. Enough, I don't know actually anything about Harry Styles. All mm. I know is that he's that dude from One Direction. Yeah. So like maybe my bias is kind of yeah. my middle aged grumpy old man bias has kicked in. That feels was, like an out of date bias though because yeah. he's done a lot since then. Has he? Absolutely. Yeah. Fucking all right. I just think he's no cool. One's he's got great hair. No one's having a yeah. go, mate. No one's having a go, mate. He's stylish. He's fashion. He's beauty. Yeah. He's grace. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. He's cool. Okay. Yeah. Tom is, Holland is, is too much in the Marvel. No no no, 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 no. That's like like ten years ago they've been broken oh, up. All right. Yeah. You gotta get an eleven year old kid to hang watching, out. I've been with. watching yeah. Billy Wilder movies for the last two years. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. I think I'd go the same as well. Chalamet is Chalamet is in some of the best movies yeah, made in the last yeah, five yeah, years. Yeah. Well, yeah, he is a charisma machine mm. in this film, and you need the right star front and center because if you get the wrong Paul, that yeah. movie collapses at the center. Yeah, and you know, if you get freaking like, cancelled, smell gorsh in this movie, my lord, it'd <laughs> <laughs> be a freaking disaster on your hands. <laughs> If Army Hammer was playing uh, Gertie, oh, it would have Lord. all fallen apart. Speaking of uh, Army and Timothy Chalamet, who can ever watch Call Me By Your Name yeah. again the same oh, way? Man. <laughs> Absolutely. It's over. Great movie. I'll never watch again now. He can still watch it. Like, well, he's a nice people one, made the maybe movie. Maybe in a few years. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm very good at separating art and artists, yeah. but at the moment, mm. like, Love Story and Naples with a guy that likes to eat people, it's yeah. a bit much. It's a you little... can just, just focus on the bit with the peach. Yeah, it's a little relationship for now. my liking. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you think about it, call me by your name, Little Women. Yeah, I love He's Little fantastic Women. Love Ladybirds. Yeah, He's fantastic in Ladybird. Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Tick, 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 of course. Beautiful Boy. Yeah. Like, I thought that movie was okay, but yeah. he was really... He's fantastic in it. ...good in it. Is there anything else... Um, is there anything else that he's been? Um, he's been in like he's just really good. Yeah, his, he's just been popping up. His everywhere. portrayal of Paul is outstanding because there is a very subtle ribbon of arrogance throughout the performance yeah. that doesn't come across as. It could so easily come across as posturing, yeah. or you know, like or yes, petulant. I am petulant. Yeah. I am the chosen mm. one. But it's I, I, you know, I can't even probably put it into words. But it's such a, it's such masterful acting. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you get that this kid is very, very confident, but he doesn't become, come off as cloying or insufferable. And I yeah. think it really is one of those great actor-director collaborations, because he's been collaborating with some of the greatest directors ever, like Greta Gerwig, Wes Anderson now mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I think with him and Deli- Denis Villeneuve, there's something in uh, the way that he's been able to translate and adapt Paul to the screen mm. that I think Timothy Chalamet taps into so well that we haven't seen in previous adaptations of Dune, mm. uh, which is the youthfulness of the character. Yep. Yeah. Like, he really does feel young. And, like, Chalamet's probably, like, 22 or something like mm. that. 25. But, but he does capture, without it feeling... Adol- like Without it feeling kind of truly adolescent yep. or... Um, arrested development in some way he's able to capture like the idea of this character being like 15 or 16 years old totally. and I think part of it is in the way Denny Villeneuve captures the entire essence of Dune which so much is in the way that Denny Villeneuve is so powerful at capturing scale mm. and understanding mm. how you see something big and feeling gargantuan mm. when you're capturing it through that lens through the perspective of Paul it does feel like you're seeing these things for the first time ever through his eyes. Yes. And yep. I think that captures uh, through like cinematic language, not just through performance. It captures like the youth of that character, yep. which kind of keeps like what you're saying, that humbleness about mm. like yeah. the idea of him becoming a messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's uh, like a, it's just a, throw away scene what happens in the scene but the fact that when he has his shirt off he looks like a boy yeah. like he does it it's not yeah. like oh I'm playing a you know a young man takes off the shirt he's got an eight yeah. pack he's yeah, got like all these Tom muscles Holland, yeah. Yeah, yeah and you're like what or is Chris O'Donnell in when he's Robin the first time <laughs> it's like oh, a 40 yeah. year old man with an amazing body uh, hey, you know so, so you know sometimes on Twitter they'll have those things you know type in to uh, to the gift mm. the year that you became a uh, teenager mm. yeah. you put it up and so I just did that and it was fun and lots of people replied but there was a, <laughs> there was a little by thread where someone had put up Chris O'Donnell and the guy wrote this is when I came out of the closet and oh, it was yeah. Chris O'Donnell in Batman and Robin and then there was just a string of young men going yep me I too see I was there <laughs> I shout out to Dean Nye that's who I know who did it <laughs> I used to work with him oh yeah, yeah. it was yeah. really funny it was yeah. really entertaining uh, just on, on Chalamet's performance one more thing mm. I, I really like that there's a subtlety I think it also is summed up in just his delivery of that line um, what's in the box yeah uh, and it's that thing that starts to happen when you're in your early 20s where you realise you're becoming a man mm. or an adult mm. but there's still an undercurrent of fear of the unknown and th- 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 do you know what I mean? Th- yeah. There's something in that line delivery where he's 
he's very brave. Yeah. Mm. And he's braver than I would be in that situation. But there's still that undercurrent of adolescent, like, mm. I'm kind of out of my depth. Yeah. yeah. And I think that carries through the whole performance until the very end when he has the fight with the yeah. um, the guy where, you know, he's... It's that it's that thing of adulthood where you realise that becoming an adult is doing things that you don't necessarily want to do, but yeah, circumstance and responsibility has been foisted on you, and that's part of growing up. Yeah, it's a proper sense of uh, trepidation yeah. that uh, is is actually complementary to the bravery of what he's actually doing. Totally, which is mm. actual bravery. Yeah, it's not not fearing, fearing the feeling the fear. Yeah, yeah. it's like oh, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this. You know, there's a, the the mildest of criticisms with the performance which is not on him he's really good with comedy I feel like he could have had a couple of just you know like not gags but mm. just humorous moments just roasting few... people or something like that <laughs> you're yeah. a fucker yeah a little yeah. bit of groucho yeah. in there yeah, yeah, oh, I yeah. love that yeah. in the Benny Jesuit voice yeah, yeah. <laughs> I... suck your own dick <laughs> <laughs> I think the voice actually is one of the things I would I really put on as part of that like breaking through the adolescence and breaking through yeah. fear to find bravery because yeah. I think there's something in the voice that I found fascinatingly played in this version this adaptation is that it's a tiny little bit embarrassing mm, especially yeah. because he can't do it the first time like yeah. each time he can't nail it yeah. and I think there's something embarrassing about the voice like inherently embarrassing about the voice where it's not as cool and mystical as the force is like that you know in Star Wars that definitely evolved from the voice in June yeah. mm. I think there's something that's inherently just a little bit even within the world of the film quite like embarrassing and I think that works so well in creating like the humbleness of the character the humility of it as well Well, it's a sci-fi version and a metaphor for uh, you're about to have sex and you can't get it up yeah absolutely (laughs) I mean I don't know what that's like because I've never never been in an amorous situation but um... (laughs) well the fact that his mum has to step in yeah exactly it's that reminder of like yeah you know you might be the chosen one but you're Mm, still a boy exactly and you have to practice at this thing it's not just some yeah. god-given gift that you are automatically mm. perfect yeah, as you know. work at you have to work at being yeah. the one you're not just like, like kind of because i know the one narrative is open to a lot of criticism yeah. and um and I, I believe that'll get busted open in the second movie but you know it, it it's not like he's ray from the new trilogy yeah. where it's just like perfect at everything first try there's that yeah. little sense of like uh you know yeah you could fuck this up you can and still yes. die yeah. and it's boyish not infantilized Total. at all yeah. even with the stuff where the mother has to come in and help mm. or the mother is the one teeing up a lot of the stuff with him it just feels boyish and doesn't feel completely infantilized no, and i find that the balancing act of all this i would say like on the whole there's moments when you're watching this movie you go like holy shit i'm watching one of the greats oh yeah yeah and i haven't really felt that when I've watched Danny Villeneuve movie before and I know a lot of people do feel that I think this was the first time since even in Sondi's where I felt like I fully understand why everyone froths this guy yeah, and why everyone thinks that he is not unlike Paul a messiah in cinema perhaps (laughs) especially when it comes to science fiction work I think that this is the this is the most I've been in the pocket with him and understood exactly what he's going for and felt like oh this is like he's God given a right to adapt Dune or something, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and and it felt like you know what some Nolan first viewings of Nolan felt like, mm. like especially first viewing of Inception or Interstellar, where yeah. it was like, oh, this is what blockbuster cinema can be. Yes. It's still a great. It's I mean, look, if it, it, it is still just at its heart a popcorn entertainment. 
you know, I sat in the front row at the Orpheum and was like grinning the whole time, like, oh, whoa, yeah. bang, bang, well. <laughs> but, you know, so, and, but, you know, but the, 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 the fact that it doesn't just have to be big, dumb entertainment, that you can build a world that's yeah. completely organic and true and real. Yeah, and not and, talking down to you, you yeah. know, mm. and, and you, this is something that we bang on about here all the time, which mm. is if you treat the audience with respect, they'll rise to the occasion rather yeah. than the but, other way around. Much like, much like one of those Nolan movies, like, you know, I, I do believe that a person who's not really into the more philosophical aspects mm. of the movie could still really enjoy just this enjoy just as a spectacle. Yeah, just, absolutely. Whoa, it looks so cool. For long-time listeners, just remember, you don't have a drink because Ben brought up Nolan. It's no. only when I bring <laughs> up <laughs> Nolan. It's so when I bring up the end of the world, you have a drink. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, <laughs> don't, don't start having a drink now because that's not the right time. Um, the film evoked memories from uh, or moments from classic films or uh, I guess it kind of evokes certain vibes. Mm. Uh, as an example, the scene that introduces Baron Harkonnen felt very much like Stellan Skarsgård was channeling his inner Apocalypse Now version yeah, of Brando, yeah. even with the way that massive meaty hand went yeah. over the head. I can't believe that wasn't a direct Apocalypse yeah, Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have it, to be, right? Well, yeah. It was the exact yeah. same move. The same movie. move and everything. And having just watched it recently, mm. it was like, whoa. Mm. And uh, even some of the desert scenes kind of recalled the grandeur of Lawrence of Arabia. Absolutely. Uh, was there any other movies that you kind of felt that you were feeling through the film or, or getting that kind of I, I thought another Apocalypse Now reference when um, Harkonnen rises out of the mud. Uh, it's yeah, very much like yes. Martin Sheen, yes. like rising out of that misty yeah. pond mm, in the, yeah. at the end of Apocalypse Now. Yeah, yeah. I think it for me, it's interesting because I've seen the David Lynch version. I saw also rewatched not too long ago with around the same time you guys did mm. as well. Yeah, and um, I have seen the sci-fi TV, uh, sci-fi channel TV, telemovie miniseries adaptation starring William Hurt many yep. years ago. Yeah, um, I was just talking to uh, our good friend, uh, the fabulous. Adam Richard about that. Oh, who, really? Who said that, you know, he said it's a bit lame, but he also really enjoyed it. It's good. I yeah. like that miniseries. But it's really interesting to come back, especially because I've had so much of my life, my former life, I don't live in this world anymore, of being uh, <laughs> entranced by Star Wars and, like, yeah. being so, uh, like, in love with the world building of Star mm. Wars. Yeah. So it's so interesting to see this film and this text relationship with Star Wars. Yeah. Because, you know, there's so many one-twos where it's like, yes, desert planet, messiah complex type mm. thing, all these cultures, the spirituality. And I think as well where Dune sits, I actually don't... I think it's reductive to call it science fiction mm. because science fiction to me is speculative. Like mm. Star Trek is science fiction. Star Wars is not science fiction. Science fantasy, it's right? Fa science fantasy, right. I would say. Right. And I think Dune lands far more into the science fantasy totally. realm than science fiction because the only speculative thing is, yes, this is 10,000 years of the future and everything is nothing like you imagined it mm. anymore. And space travel, of course, is science fiction. But I think that space travel being possible by being uh, by using a drug that makes you your mind go crazy or something that's fantasy yeah. and I think it's a little you bit obviously more obviously haven't been out with Ben on a Saturday night <laughs> <laughs> not anymore I'm clean and sober <laughs> sorry yeah old Ben talking about former lives <laughs> yeah. yeah but Ben was crazy and I was a Star Wars fan you know but you know Star Wars feels like the uh, Star Wars feels like the entry level into yes. that kind of thing and then Dune is like if you like those kinds of movies mm. and you're a grown up 
Now you can enjoy absolutely. This, this to me felt more in tone with something like Lord of the Rings. Yes, obviously yeah, not high was, fantasy of wizards and hobbits mm. and everything, but just in that like the world building is so organic, mm. and the fact that it is never explained, it's just inherent. Yeah, is what makes it completely plausible and mm. believable. It's a, li- a lived-in world. And I think, you know, it's similar to, we've talked about Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. You know, the, the, you're just dumped in this world. It's not really explained. You know, you've got a foot measuring device from an old athlete's foot as a acceleration yeah. pedal in a car and that kind of tells you everything you need to know about yeah. what the fuck's happened in <laughs> yeah. this world. Yeah. Um, and it's the similar with this. You know, I, my least favourite type of science fiction or science fantasy is, you know, and now we're going to spend 10 minutes explaining the uh, quantum processes that go into leaping through the world. Uh, yeah. Just fucking let's go. You do it. That's Just fine. Do it. Like, yep. you know, and, and the fact that it's never explained is what makes it true and real, you know, because they're not. Absolutely. This is their reality. Same way you and we're not sitting here explaining to each other how we're talking into a microphone and how that's being recorded yeah. onto a recorder. It's just a given because it's I mean, I reality. could have used a little help, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I it is my next question. It, so yeah. <laughs> I think you really hit something so well here, Ben, where it is. I find a level of exposition in this film fascinating Mm. like what they decided to explain Mm. and from the perspective they decided to explain it because like you said all the introductory elements when we're on like the world of the forest planet that the Atreides Mm. uh, home to the Atreides planet yeah the Atreides planet um, where they are <laughs> like you know they, they don't explain any of the technology there you just it's inherent you live with it the only thing they explain is like maybe that hand that danger box or whatever it's called oh, yeah, and, and, and even even the little robotic bug is kind of talked about yeah, in, in such seeker. Yeah, yeah it's such a clipped conversation just yeah. to give you a little heads up in case you're a little bit confused but yeah. otherwise and that's yeah. all like inherent knowledge to the characters in the scenes yeah yet we have scenes of Paul Atreides uh, listening to like audio books about the planet Arrakis, yeah. the planet of Dune that they're heading to, where it's describing the culture yeah. Yeah. and describing what the sandworms are. Yeah. And those are all things that you will need to learn, but it's how Paul Atreides learns them. Yeah. And it makes sense because he's like this little prince boy. Of course, he's going to learn it in a library. But, it, but it's also, it's also uh, a character building because it shows you mm-hmm. that he does actually have yeah. uh, a you thirst know, for knowledge. A thirst for knowledge about other things and he's not he he might be this you know well off prince but he's not in a bubble he's mm. looking yeah, yeah, yeah. to expand his horizons and, and it's completely plausible within the world we live in like people buy lonely planet books yeah. before they go to japan yeah you know i need to understand the culture that i'm going into so yeah. not just kind of assume that it's going to be exactly the same i buy lonely planets before i go back to melbourne <laughs> like it's um <laughs> Uh, what places to avoid? Yeah. <laughs> what places are going to trigger bad memories? Yeah. So it's the comedy scene. Uh, so this is a. I've got. This is a question I've been dying to ask Ben before mm-hmm. we even saw this because this relates back wow. to a chat we'd had before. Big movie with big stars, and I'm curious to know which other actors stood out for you in this adaptation. But specifically for you, mm. how do you feel about Jason Momoa? Because I we've discussed it before, and you um, were a bit like I don't like Momoa, but I really liked him in this. Mate, I, I feel I thought like he was. Th- th- but there was. There was that dude bro energy, you know, yeah. that like, what's that line from fucking um, J- Justice League? Where you go, mommy! Yeah, mommy! That, that, yeah. that, that sums up J- like my idea yeah. of Jason Momoa before yeah. this. Mommy! Well, what about that his Instagram handle is King of Gypsies? Ah, oh, bro, just, <laughs> I get it. You're really fucking handsome. You can yeah. have whoever you want. Just 
chill out. Um, but in this, there was a brotherly warmth to him. Ah, yes. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. He's the, the secret source of the movie, yeah, I, I thought he say. was. I thought so too, yeah. So, like, it's like he dialed back that Cali Surfer kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. And there was a warmth to him that felt so organic and non-performative. Yeah. Well, see, uh, and, and brotherly, yeah. paternal, yeah. you know. And Which also adds to the... Uh, Chalamet character of Paul, totally. you know, and, like and, and, well, the fact that Chalamet is so happy to see, like, like a yeah. little brother would, like, yeah. oh, it's my cool older brother. Yeah. yeah, I would say that the entire warmth of his character is. Uh, and his loyalty to the Atreides, like that undying or literally dying loyalty, mm, yeah. is absolutely what makes you believe in the Atreides going forward into the next chapters of the where this yeah. saga will head to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that he, I really do think that he is like the linchpin, the secret source yeah. to the entire movie to make everything believable and to feel genuinely invested in any of the characters is his interactions with them. And, 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 and the depth of that performance is what gives you the right foot, because it's probably one of the only, um, remind me if I'm wrong, but it's probably one of the only like real kind of maybe kabuki bits of the film when he, you know, you think he's dead and he yeah. like, pulls the sword out of his guts and goes nuts again. Yeah. But you've earned that moment by yeah. that stage. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, 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 I, I'm, I'm fully with this guy. Yeah. Had it been a lesser performance or had it been more in line with, you know, my man, yeah. Yeah. when he's pulling the sword you out, know, it would have been eye-rolling like... Yeah. You, you know that's not his... That's Zack Snyder's fault, though, for that performance. Because like, yeah. the first thing I ever saw him in was Game of Thrones, yeah, where he's, he's great. Yeah. speaking a made-up language mm. and he yeah. was like... Terrifying. Oh, but also we, like weirdly tender and mm. weirdly charismatic. There mm. was so much weirdness going on in that performance, yeah. and then like like you you kind of watching Ackerman going, uh, yeah, uh, when he's pegging empty bottles into the ocean that he's supposed to be the king of. Like, what are you doing? doing? Hey, what's happening? Well, here? they like them down there. <laughs> yeah, well, just grab something. If they can't get a shell, they can put a bottle on their back. <laughs> can I ask you? Are there any? Because I think this is like one of the most exciting ensembles yeah, ever. Yeah. Just, even just with name recognition. Well, you know, sorry to interrupt, mm. but you know how you were saying Jason Momoa is yeah. like, and I, I agree with that. Like, he's kind of the linchpin, but man, I am such a big Rebecca Ferguson fan yeah, and I she think is she is phenomenal in this film. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. All the way through it. And then she spends a lot of it kind of a little bit in the background, but yeah. you kind of you can feel the fear she has for yeah. her son, and it's all in the eyes, man. Oh, There's so much com- uh, conflict. Yeah, yeah. Like, Sorry, but- I, I was saying, I think that this is like, like we said, like we, we can't stop talking about like who's in this movie and how they're doing. It's such an incredible ensemble. Uh, do you th- are there any people that you feel? perhaps were a weak link or perhaps didn't fully embrace because I think most people are right in the same tone but the only mm. person I feel perhaps is an actor I hate to say it about but I think Javier Bardem is like yeah. actually wildly miscast in this film yeah I he's the, I, I gotta say he was the only one that I was kind of a bit not a hundred percent sold on that. Yeah. I kept being reminded that it was Javier. Yeah. The others, even though they are big stars, Brolin, the mm. rest, I, I forgot that I was watching Josh Brolin. But yeah. I did kind of loop back into like, oh, it's Javier. Yeah. I think I, there's something. I about- find that fascinating. I thought he was great. Right. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about him in here that felt inauthentic compared to everywhere else, especially when we we're now you know meeting the indigenous or well, not indigenous people of Dune because in this world actually everyone comes from Earth like. 
hundreds of thousands of years ago and then they like they then I guess went across the planets and like populated those you know because no one's actually a freaking alien in this but um, <laughs> the, except for the sandworms that's an alien life form I guess you but, know what he's uh, doing he's doing a disclaimer in case anyone listens to this in 10,000 years time yeah. and tries to <laughs> cancel us retroactively yeah. cancel you yeah. <laughs> but I feel like he just didn't there's something about him maybe it's because he is too big or too like iconically famous I don't know there was just something about his performance that just didn't feel tonally in line with everything else and he's an actor I love because I love Spanish cinema and you love Mother I adore <laughs> it my favourite movie just let the record show that's the my least favourite film of all time and I've seen it enough times I've seen it three times now where I can definitively easily say I hate that film yeah I know um, but I, I love res- our relationship yeah. we're, so, we're so divergent on opinion we don't <laughs> yeah. hate each other it's great but I respect that I respect that movie even though I think it's trash and garbage um, but yeah I just this, I don't know what it is but I but I can't put my finger on it like why I feel like he didn't uh, to me there was a, there was an element of it, it, it's what wasn't there with uh, Momoa mm. there was a level of posturing that I thought was just maybe two notches above where it could have been mm. I think everyone else was playing a more subtle game yeah where when he strides in and I, I mean, I did like the scene where he hocks on the desk. Yeah, and, you know, but to me, that's Momoa's scene. He's the playing the comic element of that scene, which is genuinely really funny. Like mm. the way he goes, "No, actually, that's awesome that you did that. Yeah, you Thank you for gifting us with your moisture." It's like <laughs> the way he handled that. I was like, "Momoa's fucking hilarious, yeah, dude! Yeah, yeah. If he can yeah. make this movie funny, that's awesome." <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, never forget that uh, if Jason Momoa wants to call himself the king of the gypsies, it's fine because he is literally with the woman he used to have posters up on his wall yeah. when he was a teenager. Is that and true? Yeah. Lisa Bonet. Is and that really real? Yeah. That's hilarious. And you know what that is? That's the ultimate. So if yeah. you want to call yourself the king of the gypsies, you are living <sighs> the life, fucking Momoa. magic right there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can I, can I'd call- be dating Annie Jones from <laughs> Neighbours. <laughs> oh, damn. I guess I'd be dating Serpico. <laughs> I'll be all right. Yeah, have some good chats. That's a very handsome Pacino. Can I call out two performances that I thought were great? Mm, uh, yes, and I, yes. unfortunately, it, I don't know the the actors' names. Mm-hmm, I'll get on it. Uh, it's the gentleman who plays the general. Uh, the guy who, when they ask him for stats, his eyes go. Stephen Click. McKinley Henderson. That's oh, him. Yes, yes, he's yes. fucking great. Yeah. I um, heard Denny Villeneuve talk about casting him because this is a character actor kind of best known for Lady Bird, Manchester yep. by the Sea, mm. uh, oh, the movie, movie Fences. Yes. So he's like a theatrical actor mm. um, and a great character actor. But he talked about casting him because he saw that role. He said he wants to cast someone that embodies the feeling of a teddy bear and the warmth that you would get from a teddy bear. Yeah. And you see him and you go, there's no one else you could have cast. It's yeah. like him and the late great Ed Asner or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And it's because, uh, you know, it could so easily have gone down the, the path of, you know, the hard ass general. Yeah. But to have that warmth there and, and that humility when he's like, I'm resigning because I fucked up. Mm. Um and of, of course, when he's uh, striding across the the plains with that little Japanese parasol, yeah. it's just perfect. I have uh, a uh, I have a squid bit about that a little bit later on, which fantastic. you'll be into. Uh, and then the second performance, again, I'm sorry, I don't know her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman who plays uh, the uh, the uh, the, uh, the arbiter between the, the two. The arbiter between the two. That is uh, Sharon is Duncan Brewster. Fucking yeah. great! I've never seen her in anything before. Yeah, mm. she's really good. But, um, she had she really portrayed that sense of 
we are entering into a zone that yeah. is beyond our understanding. That real sense of like, I know something you don't know without it being like a mustachio twirling kind of, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the one that I was really happy to see and, and his career has been, you know, when you see an actor in a, in a movie that you love and mm. you've, and whatever it is about the performance, you look and you go, this is probably their best thing and you know because it's such a kind of specific type of performance but they've been getting more and more roles and seeing them turn up in this I was really happy to see and it was uh, David Dasmalchian oh yeah 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 yeah. and and, you know and and just seeing him in that little role there was like oh great I was weirdly really happy to see him there well he's in Blade Runner 2049 so I think that uh, Denis is kind of utilising that guy he's got a great head he is a phenomenal actor and I think that even within the last few years, I don't know how to place him anymore because before, I remember the first time I ever was cognizant of him was The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sorry same. to bring it up. I know we might take a 20-hour sidetrack now that we brought up <laughs> the, one of my favourite movies. But um, uh, seeing him... Do we want him? Yeah. No. <laughs> but he's, I remember that was the first time I saw him was seeing him in The Dark Knight. Yeah. And... Um, but that's what I mean. The first time creep. I'd see him yeah. and, you, and you go... Like I was like, like this is an amazing one scene performance, mm. but, but it, was, it was so amazing. Like mm. it, at the time, you go, "Well, that's that's him." Yeah. Like, what's that's he going to do psycho next? Psycho they found for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but then like uh, he has truly ascended to me to be one of the great character actors. Like when mm. people explain who a character actor is, he would probably be one of the modern day examples that you would use now. Yeah. And I, I would give a shout out to a movie. I, ben, we may have even seen this movie together. Um, he's in this movie called uh, Far Out. Give me one moment. I got to remember the name of the movie. Consult your model. I've got to cons- I've got to consult my obelisk <laughs> right now. Um <laughs> He was in this movie that I saw at Sydney Underground Film Festival a few years ago called Relaxer, uh, which is an independent movie by Joel Petrikas. So uh-huh. he's like the second lead of the film. Yeah. And uh, the whole film is like set on a couch. And it's a couch like that. Eventually the apocalypse happens and he like right. returns to this couch. But he's just like such a fantastic actor. And I think seeing him like ascend to these new levels just even this year yeah. is so exciting because it's yeah. like you don't anticipate a character actor uh, to have a proper ascent like that right yeah, yeah yeah and he's got one of those like old school heads mm. where you know like the 21st century yeah. wouldn't necessarily make that yeah. guy a star it's kind of like you know 70s yeah. you know would cast that guy in a lot of stuff but he he's reminds not me of someone like Joe Spinell or something like that mm. who's yeah, like in Godfather yeah, yeah. Rocky yeah. Taxi Driver yeah, like yeah. 1970s era character actor but yeah. he might I, he, he's one of the MVPs of the movie for sure for me yeah he's say. great and, it- and Brolin is great as well mm. Brolin's great uh, well, probably the best line delivery in the whole film for me yeah. they're Oh, yeah. <laughs> I felt like that was take eight or nine yeah. <laughs> of the day. But it was funny. The, um, the he has a moment uh, where what's a, when they're being attacked, he says anything with guns get in the air. And then mm. there was uh, in that moment, I was like, "There's no guns in this movie. Like it's all hand to hand combat, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, just little things like that that uh, add to the world." Well, that, I mean, that's an interesting thing to note about this movie that I didn't necessarily pick up. I, I don't know if it's the same in the Lynch version. It does. It's not a digital world, right? Yeah. Everything's yeah. analog. There's yeah. no computers in yeah. this. Yeah. There's no like on yeah. screens or anything. Yeah. Which I found yeah. a fascinating um, road to go. There's a real kind of old world pomp to it. It's almost like technology, at a, on a certain level, stopped 
you right. know, in the 18th century mm. or something, you know, because they're yeah. still wearing all the, you know, old world yeah, armor, it have, it and armor and swords. Yeah, if you found out there was a deleted scene with the mechanic guy, yeah, mate, I reckon I'll get it back into you in about three weeks. Yeah. So it'll be ready to go. Yeah. Just got to get a new carburetor. You'd go, oh, yeah, no, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Which lends itself to that Star Wars feeling of like, yeah. you know, kind of it, it's, or, or even Blade Runner, where it's like, you know, the fashion stopped at a certain point. Mm, and even yeah. though we've got spaceships and stuff, we kind of, we don't want to go down the digital route. Yeah, and I think as well, it's so interesting that it's like, it's sword play in this film mm. rather than like, Blasters or anything yeah. like that in Star Wars, or phasers if you're a Star Trek head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or bullets if you like traditional movies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that's like all swordplay. Yeah, and I found it really visually interesting how they involved the element of shields. Like they have yes. these like energy shields around them. Mm. Yeah, and I think it was like. It kind of became a genius move for me eventually because at first I was like, oh, it looks a bit tacky, it looks a bit cheesy. But then, like, it became such an inherent part of the visual language of, like, the action sequences that red means bad. Mm. If you get yeah. hit on the shield and it's blue, yeah. you okay. You're fine, yeah. Red means bad. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. just became, like, v- visual storytelling at a yeah. point that yeah, I couldn't yeah, yeah. really believe. Like, I was like, oh, that is so... I understand what's going on. Just I couldn't believe it because I thought it was so lame, and, and then I loved it. And it adds, <laughs> and it adds like a ticking clock element of tension mm. to when when red because first time it goes red, it's like well you still got a chance to get yeah. out yeah. of this. Yeah. But there's a tick 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 yeah. tick. Yeah. So there's like there's that added element of tension to the whole thing. I can't believe it because I was like, this is Tron shit in this movie. Why is this Tron shit in here? And they're like, oh no, the Tron shit's awesome. The also funnily enough glossing over him but uh, after the way he was horribly treated as a character in the three mm. later Star Wars films great to see Oscar Isaac just being oh, able to say Yoda uh, no <laughs> he's not in this film he's yeah. in the next one Oscar Isaac is great in this but he is um, he's freaking Al Pacino Robert De Niro yeah. reborn as one fella uh, he, he is, right? he is yeah. the, uh, it, 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 the if you're Diagram. looking at the lineage yeah. it goes uh, you know, the parents are De Niro and yeah, Mickey uh, Rourke's Pacino. an older brother or something. <laughs> no, it's Andy Garcia. Oh, I reckon wow, it's Andy yeah, Garcia absolutely. and then it's Oscar Isaac. I love yeah. Oscar Isaac, so I was happy. I was like, you know what's going to happen mm. <laughs> when he gets taken out. You're still a bit yeah. like, well, you could have changed that bit. I'd like to have kept Oscar around a little bit longer. Yeah. Like, it's a good scene, but it's like, oh, I really like him. I mean, he really got into how the base he is. Yeah. He just fully adds instant authenticity to yeah. anything that he's in. Like, yeah. I couldn't just believe him doing anything, you know? Yeah, he's got, he's got this kind of like... <laughs> Like, I know ideas of masculinity and femininity are mm. very old world, but there's this kind of, like, platonic ideal of masculinity mm. to him in the sense of, you know, not that chest-thumping machismo bullshit. There is a vulnerability yeah. and a yeah. warmth and a sensitivity to him that, to me, is the best example of, yeah. you know, whatever, if you want to talk in terms of you know, masculinity. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I always saw my grandpa as that. You know, he was five foot three, yeah. tiny man. But yeah. to me, he was always, like... So much more "quote unquote" masculine yeah. than all the lunkheads that I was going to high school with, because yeah. there was this dignity and grace, and yeah, just that's the grace, right? There's yeah. a grace about you know. Was there was no say, need to no need to thump the chest because it was like, no, I, yeah. I know who I am. He feels mm. like a like a painting from the uh, of a man from the Romantic period. Yeah. You know, it is that as you said, it's that vulnerability, mm. it, but strength and intellect. You know, he's, well, the, the understanding that you are actually not weak when you express vulnerability. Mm. It's actually the expression of vulnerability that makes you strong. 
Well, he has that great moment where he's kind of speaking to Paul and sort of says, you know, and Paul's like, you know, what happens if I just can't do this? And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I'll still love you. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is all set up for you, yeah. but it doesn't matter, you know? It was, it was, it reminded me of that, um, a, a much more pared down version, but it reminded me of the conversation that Chalamet has with his dad at the end of Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. Where it was yeah. just like, oh, yeah. Dude, you're my son, and it's yeah. all good. Like, I love you, and, you know, it's. That uh, is a scorching uh, yeah. scene. As three guys who might not have the best relationships with dads, it's mm. like, oh, wouldn't it have been good to have a conversation like that with daddy? Yeah, and that's why that's why I'm at my imaginary 11-year-old son loves me. Um, by the way, talk about Charlotte Rampling coming in hot and just great. doing a great yeah. scene, but never showing us her face. Great. Yeah. Far out. She is terrifying. Yeah, scary lady. Um, so... Uh, so I really enjoyed the film, uh, but and this is kind of uh, Alexia question off the back of mm-hmm. when we walked out of the cinema. Um, is it going to be confusing for anyone who hasn't read the book or seen the David Lynch movies recently? I, because you said, yeah. "Oh my God, I'm glad I saw uh, yeah. watched Lynch recently." So because we because you and I Ben have already watched that, I'm like I don't have a take on this I, no, I, I feel like I it's tell. obvious to me yeah. yeah I would say that I'm grateful that I watched the Lynch film because even though I found that film like genuinely impenetrable almost mm. like for a movie where you hear so much people's inner monologues I'm like who is anyone yeah. or anything but then like having that as a background recently in my head I, I fully understood everything that was yep. going on in this movie I understood every character I understood every kind of motivation but it's so... This movie is almost... Uh, like we're saying, it uses exposition in like selective and interesting ways. And I, But I feel like because it's so competently visually told mm. yeah. that while I appreciate that I had this Lynch background going in, I think that it helped my experience in it. But I feel like... This is like a, such a well-made movie yeah. and so masterfully told that even like the things that you're missing by not having a background in the story at all, it you're not going to be left wanting for them mm-hmm. or anything or feeling like there is something missing. Yeah. I think that it's very cleanly told. Like maybe it moves a bit fast at points, even though it's like not a fast movie. It's a mm. s- kind of slow, yeah. long bit not really language still but it, it's no but it, scenes scenes mm. actually there's not that da 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 da, da editing yeah. scenes take place yeah. and they play out and I feel like it builds well enough and you understand the motivations enough I think the main crux is you just have to understand who the Atreides are you, honest, you need to understand that they're, uh, they're rivals of the Baron Harkonnen mm. yeah. and then you have to understand that there's an emperor that is above all of this that you is remains unseen basically yeah. and I think that's all you really need to know and then it just makes sense right it, yeah. it, it does two things that the Lynch movie uh, fails at profoundly Mm. In that uh, the Lynch one, it's all just um, words that you've never heard before, just spat at you, rat-a-tat-tat by a floating head that has no consequence to the rest of the film. I I, Uh, I felt like this movie could have used a a four-minute fade in and out woman (laughs) saying things I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, one of the fatal flaws of the Lynch one is it's like they introduce the concept of spice, but then they also go, oh, by the way, it's also called melange. And it's like, no, no, I don't need to know that it's also called melange. Just Just call call it spice. spice. It's all good. They don't do that in this one. It's spice and that's it. Um, So you've got that kind of um, pared-back language, but it's also not telling you stuff that you don't need to necessarily mm. know at this point in the movie. We don't need to meet the Emperor at this point. Yeah. It's all good to just go, Atreides, Harkonnen, yeah. Dune, 
three planets is enough. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't need the fourth planet on top of that, plus this weird thing that looks like a fucking giant cancer. Yeah. What the fuck is that thing? You don't need a Doctor Who character popping up totally, in this stuff, you know? Totally. And and even just getting that little three minute prologue by Zendaya at the beginning yep. of just this is June, you know, mm. and, and it's it's really hard not to draw all the kind of like Middle Eastern metaphors. Yeah. Like we have a resource that everyone wants and yeah. people have been yeah. killing each other for years to get it. That's a meta, you know, it's very similar to that opening uh, prologue of um, Lord of the Rings where yeah. you're getting a lot of information, but it's done in such a streamlined, mm. brilliant way mm. that look, even if you miss a point or two there... I mean, you'd really have to not be paying attention and staring at your phone to not kind of yeah. get the impression of like, yeah. okay, that's the planet where everyone wants the shit. These two guys hate each other. Yeah. What else do you really need to know I would, to understand? I would um, love to give a shout out to an article I read by great uh, culture writer Roxana Hadidi, um, who, uh, Roxana Hadadi, sorry. She uh, wrote this, I think for Vulture, about like the Middle Eastern interpretation mm. uh, in this movie, because it's much clearer in like, from what I understand from this, article in Frank Herbert's novel like you know calling it like instead of saying I think they call it crusade in this movie but it's called like jihad in like the novels and stuff and I think she she wrote this she wrote this great article like talking about like how while she loved the movie she didn't find like the Middle Eastern she didn't like the translation of like how that works I think I found it quite fascinating like I found that because you know because that's something that I did not pick up at all from the Lynch adaptation almost and seeing it you know be portrayed this way I was like oh okay I understand I understand June more for having had two texts about it yeah 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 yeah. let's uh, let's jump forward with a couple of questions off the back of that Mm -hmm. because so there's a lot of ideas taking place in this movie there's ecological devastation there's the exploitation of natural resources there is the sense of colonialism Mm. and religious belief so I have a two part question for you, uh, which uh, which of these ideas resonated the most with you? I'm taking a guess, Alexi. The, the Middle East stuff and the parallels was the thing that I would stood say, out a little bit more. Yeah, and the colonialism mm. as well that yeah. really stood out to me. Like yeah. the the idea of like these two warring factions like depleting the resources of this other planet, while like the people whose home planet is uh, have no say or any control yeah. over the planet anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I found that. To, to be truly evoked in this film, which I have not felt so genuinely or like evocatively in any of the other adaptations I've seen of yeah. June. Yeah. And by the way, I've never read June. I've read the first six pages probably yeah, uh, probably about seven times throughout my life. Yeah. I've tried. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think I've owned probably six copies of June that I've uh, <laughs> thrown out or given away at a certain yeah. point. I'll just give it one more try. No, nope. yeah, no, nope. good. Still the same. I'm yeah. walking around the city with a freaking bookmark on page seventeen, pretending I'm going to keep getting through this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got it with me because I'm gonna read it whenever I'm on the train or whatever. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. not at all. It's, oh, too, yeah. it's too much impenetrable language for me. Yeah. Uh, do you mean uh, like made up names? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I struggle Lange, with that as well. Yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't yeah. do it. What about if, it, if a book begins with a glossary? I'm like, oh, oh God, no, I'm yeah, not going to make it. I yeah. can't do it. Like I, I've got to be honest. I just need names like Paul and Duncan. Yeah, like absolutely. I need that because once it gets into Mama and. I'm yeah, like, yeah, who yeah, the yeah. fuck is that? Totally, but totally. I love remember that in this movie. Wonderful <laughs> character, great character, great character. Yeah. Like gave Jason Momoa a run for his <laughs> money. What about you, Ben? What? Uh, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought the colonial stuff was really interesting. Mm. But I, again, like so much in this movie, uh, the way it's just kind of threaded into the world without 
making a huge point of it. Like so much of it's just told through the music. Yeah. Uh, like the, I mean, the fucking water sound. I, I can't honestly. No, I don't think since uh, Interstellar have I sat with my whole body pinned against the cinema mm. seat like that. Like when it would kick off, like whoa, like oh, seat yeah. rumbling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then through obviously through the costuming, that's very evocative, and just little lines like um, when that liaison. Between the Atreides and the whatever the names are, Harkonnen, Harkonnen, not the Harkonnen, oh. the, the, the 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 natives of Dune, um, where she says to uh, Fremen, the Fremen. Fremen, my lord, I can't believe I remembered it. Very good, it's in yeah. there somewhere. Uh, when when she says to uh, Oscar Isaac's character, you know, just kind of, you know. Man, I've seen guys like you come and go. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it really that just that kind of the weight of history of yeah. like you know, um, it reminded me of another movie. I can't remember what it is. Where they say you know I've seen men like you come and go and come and go, yeah. like waves on the ocean, and we'll be we'll still be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ghostbusters. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters, the the all female version. <laughs> I I would say another thing that really really uh, resonated me with me this time on in this adaptation is the. Portrayal of dreams mm-hmm. and like how he has these like bursts of premonition in his dreams and stuff. Yeah, where he sees Zendaya like throughout the entire movie, and then you know he sees things from different angles and stuff. I found that to be like really elegance like that yes. it, like it was an elegant translation to something that seems so obtuse really mm. in like I think the surrealism like the level of surrealism those was just perfectly on point but the way that we kind of waft in and weave in of dreams kind of throughout any moment of the film I found so like well I don't know it, I've it, never seen it done like it, that it's before, been done right? so like there's a there's organic. a lazy mm. shorthand to it yeah. in, in in recent years where it's always the scene that's not hang on why are we watching this scene and then suddenly it finishes with a moment of violence and the person <gasps> sitting up in bed going <gasps> yeah what and yeah. it was none of that it was just kind of uh, elegance a really good way of putting yeah. it it's just segued all the way through were, were there any of the ideas that you would like to have seen explored more or did you feel like you got enough of no, them I felt like I, I, mm. I, I, like I really felt like it was again back to that thing of you know not explaining the technology like mm. this is the world mm. so it wouldn't have made sense there are certain movies where that level of exposition were, like it really probably one of the only movies that really works uh, properly is the original Matrix where yeah. okay we are we have the point of view character Neo mm. mm-hmm. we have entered in a world that makes no sense awesome. so him spending two hours going yeah. what's that What's that? Yeah. And a guy going, oh, well, this is what it is. Yeah. Makes sense. Because yeah. it's fucking, you've been wrenched out of reality and Man. none of it makes sense. Dude, so that first 45 minutes of The Matrix is the so best good. filmmaking ever happened. We dude. did like a three-hour podcast yeah. Yeah. the other day. Can't yeah. believe it's it. It's so yeah. fucking good. Whenever yeah. someone says the word Matrix, I start smiling. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's perfect. It was funny. Like, we went into that podcast and mm. uh, I said this to Ben afterwards I was like and for listeners yeah. you will get this soon and it's going to be a two-parter but it was like <laughs> so many people have talked about the Matrix you and Cam just yep. recently covered the Matrix on Total Reboot yeah. all of that and I was like right I've got to find some angles and I hope we can find uh, some new ways to talk about this and two and a half hours later we found them yeah. we found them. we didn't breathe <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh man but so so in a movie like that uh, exposition and explanation works uh, in this I think if it had gone any any further into the colonialist stuff or anything, it mm. would have betrayed that 
notion of this being a real world. I don't yes. no character in this world is going to bang on about it because yeah. it is just it is the way it is. it is. It betrays the metaphor, would betray the symbolism yeah. of it all. And yeah. I think if you get too stuck in the weeds in it when you're in a science fiction, science fantasy, speculative text, yeah. I think if you get stuck in the weeds of it all, you lose the symbolism. Because yeah. yeah. you're you're no longer evoking thoughts, you're like portraying them you know yeah. absolutely so yeah. how do we feel about Paul Atreides being the sort of white male saviour that modern storytellers have issues with is this a part of the story that should have been changed or in this film and in this context are you do you think it's completely fine I've heard and this could be spoilers but I've heard that the whole story of June is that he turns out it's not really that's not really the case Right, that he's not real. It's it's more the idea that he is the one, but he's not, mm. yeah. which is kind of like, what Rebecca Ferguson's whole. Uh, whenever it yeah. cuts to her looking really unsure, yeah. is that she knows that the prophecy is not what it seems. Mm. Right? Or does she know, or does she suspect? Uh, I, don't I know. know. That's I kind don't of know. I haven't, I haven't read June, but no. yeah. uh, what I've re- I've read I read an article the other day that's talking about that. That the great kind of what it's actually building to is that it's not what we would think right mm. that the one narrative is kind of being subverted a bit by Frank Herbert in this. right so but in the context of just one film yeah, sure. for people who are going and seeing it you know mm. like I don't have a problem with it but it's mm. uh, it's just an interesting thing that I've seen brought mm. up a couple of times I yeah. you know especially like like we know we're definitely getting a second one. Yeah. So I'm always I'm always you know when people like even with a miniseries mm. Why haven't we got answers for this second episode in? Like, mate, yeah, just wait till yeah. we get to the end, and then yeah. that's what I'm more curious uh, yeah. about to see where it goes because it does feel like it does feel like it's subverting it in places all the way through mm, the movie yeah. as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say I think that's the what makes this difficult to talk about because this is an incomplete film. Yeah, right. Like this is we're talking of so ri- like how the story's so rich, but you know it's there's it's it's hard to go like. You know, we're probably two, three years away from seeing Dune Part Two, mm. and you know, at the start of this movie it says Dune Part One. Yeah, they didn't put that in until like, uh, like, like an hour before the movie. Or like, to. I think apparently people that saw earlier screenings there, of Dune, it wasn't there. No, I, I, it's I, a I, so, fucking movie, yeah. man. It's one of the greatest yeah. gambles I've ever heard it's of bo- in cinema. Right, considering that um, his last massive blockbuster, twenty forty nine, was not, not a, a block, hit. Uh, yeah. not no. a hit. No, that's why they didn't guarantee him multiple films, films because yeah. the, you know twenty forty nine did not do so well. I know people mm. loved that movie, mm. but you know it didn't wasn't uh, universally well received, and it wasn't you know a huge blockbuster. I still you know I, I think on uh, Monday night, yeah. Alexa, you and I were talking. I still think the 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 big absolute flaw with yeah. that film was putting Harrison Ford in all the advertising because yeah. you yeah, took away you took away the mm. no but the if they had more confidence in word yeah. of mouth yeah. it would have been like you know it should have been have you seen the new blade runner no yeah. oh you should see it. Yeah. You know, it should be that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I have many other problems with the movie. But, no, but um, like from a from yeah. a success point of view, like exactly. everyone who was going to see the film saw it in the first week, and then yeah. there was no kick on. But if you want kick on, it should be like exactly. that's that's a that's a real moment. That's uh, like and, yeah. and you sit there through the film. Mm. Like I enjoyed that film. I don't think it's as like I'm um, I'm right in the middle yeah. uh, as someone who loves the original Blade Runner. But the um, like you're sitting there thinking, yeah. 
Like it's weirdly, it's like the movie Funny People in that that is the wow. worst trailer of all time. Where you're sitting there and it tells you in the trailer yeah. Adam Sandler is going to get over this cancer. Yeah. So you're sitting there going. Like that should have been I mean an argument For not watching trailers Really yeah, No exactly. no yeah absolutely But it should be Two thirds of the way through You suddenly realise Oh he's not going to die Wow where does this go But yeah. instead you're sitting there Waiting for it And that's the same With Blade Runner 2049 You're sitting there going Where's Harrison Ford Like yeah. he, he's in all the advertising When are mm. they going to get To Harrison Ford yeah, But yeah. the gamble of this movie Because he wasn't guaranteed Multiple films yeah. To, oh, so to fully go in and go I'm just making one half of the first Dune book yeah. is uh, unreal it's dude. a tasty yeah, flex yeah, and yeah. I'm very very glad that he has paid off yeah, totally. Because uh, it could have easily not, mm-hmm. especially in the current uh, y- the couple of years we've had. Yeah, yeah. You know, this could have fucking fallen on its. But yeah, the, the, the confidence to go out there and just go, I'm not, I'm not making the Dino De Laurentiis mm-hmm. mistake of yeah. trying to cram this into two and a half yeah. hours. Or um, like, you know, or the, it sounds like the other mistake would have been to do the freaking Peter Jackson thing and try and make a trilogy mm. all in one go because like that for something like you know those are humongous movies mm. but I think making a movie this big now is so much more difficult oh, than yeah. it was fuck yeah back then you know yeah. like you, it's because it's you know the franchise machine has changed so hard over the last few years it feels like the gamble and the crapshoot of it all was the only way it could ever possibly happen right yeah 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 and the possibility of it happening was you know I, he just backed himself yeah, it's a it's a great move. Uh, my the buddy that I went with um, was at the toilet a little too long and oh. missed the uh, title card that said June Part One. Oh wow! And so he was telling me after after it was done, that, uh, you know, after they escaped the worm and they and they mm. meet the fremen and everything, he started having a complete panic attack, just going, "Okay, either." This is being completely rushed, and it's going to wrap up in twenty minutes with yeah. everything that, like, like the David yeah. Lynch June, yeah, or it's going for another three hours, and yeah. I'm fucking freaking out on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only way you could have done it, is like, yeah, we made a four-hour movie of this thing, but even then, it would have been too rushed. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the fucking nightmare of the the, the David Lynch one where they he meets the Zendaya um, surrogate in the Lynch version, yeah, and then four years later, they fell in love and waged a battle. Yeah, <laughs> oh, dude. Man, it's uh, yeah, that that panic attack of not knowing when something like is this going to finish in twenty minutes or is this going to finish in three hours is um, I've had that in comedy shows. Where you sitting there going, is he going to keep going? Because I've had heaps. I've had enough. The um, answer is almost always yes. He's yeah. going to keep going. Yes, going. he is. Um, Hello, Daniel Kitson, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> there is a sense of doom that drapes itself over the story right from the very beginning. It's pronounced Dune. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Dune. Sorry. There is a sense of Dune that drapes itself over the story right from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Isaac's Leto appears to be incapable of outrunning his fate, even though it feels like he knows it is coming. And I'm fascinated by characters that know what lays mm. ahead of them, but can't do anything yeah. to avoid it. Uh, was there a way that this character, Leto, could have avoided all of this? Or was he always, because of the political manif- uh, mm. machinations, put into this position that he couldn't come out of it? Yeah, I think anyone who uh, is willing to follow orders, even against their better judgment, is probably always doomed to the fate that is, you know... Mm. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, you know, it's like, it, 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 it's the equivalent of soldiers going into war. It's like, well, if you're just kind of on a 
predetermined track yeah. without any yeah. real autonomy, then what what hope do you have of escaping? Yeah. You know, that's why uh, Paul is the one because he's the one that can kind of um, defect. Yeah. yeah. Well, he kind of... Paul seems to be the only one that... Uh, his greatest achievement is that he is he knows he's a pawn mm. <laughs> where, where everyone else is kind of thinking that they're the main character mm. probably in their story yeah. and uh, you know uh, he's registering oh there is a lot of shit going on that I am out of my depth mm. and that's and kind understand. of what yeah, yeah yeah which again lends itself into the research that he's doing you know yeah. he, he, he wants to learn as yeah. opposed to the others that are just like yeah 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 we're the spice managers now <laughs> yeah uh, one of the aspects of Dune that I struggled with in the first film um, but uh, really enjoyed in this one was the giant worms. Oh, I absolutely adore the worms. Yeah. I like them in both versions, if I'm honest. Well, I like... But the yeah, I don't dislike them, mm. but it is high camp yeah. in the, in the Dune one. And this one feels uh, like... They're pretty terrifying, aren't they? They're absolutely terrifying. I find, like, just how... I think this goes back on to my praise of Villeneuve's uh, complete control of scale in his films. Yeah. I think there's a gargantuanness to the worms that becomes believable. Yeah. It starts unbelievable, like, how big they are and, like, how hard it is to comprehend the size. But then he slowly makes them more believable, the worms. Like, just to... to scale how big they are. Mm, yeah. I think when you see that that big worm like come from underneath and like completely slurp down that big <laughs> like mining vehicle, yeah, yeah. I think that is such like an incredible moment for the film that is built in with all the fantasy of everything you would want for like a big space yeah. operation like this. Well, you, it's also there's there's just subtle world building with mm. the worms as well, like in the background, like it's the art that's made yeah. on the wall and stuff like that. So I love it, that bronze. Uh, yeah, yeah, like it, but it gives you a sense of scale of look at the way they've captured the imagination of these people. So then when you finally do mm. see it slurping down. Yeah. Also, the the fact that, you know, the first time we see them, I, I, I sent Justin a great video about the special yes. effects of this. I'll send it to you. Yeah, it's please. fucking awesome. Oh, it was uh, so good. It's, it's so good. It just kind of breaks down like, yeah. why, does, why does the special effects in this feel so real? Oh, wow. But it's still just CG. God, yeah. maybe uh, I don't want to watch it because I, I believe so much of the stuff <laughs> in this movie. But he points out like when you're on that craft with the, the, the people and and, uh, and and you see the worm in the distance. Mm. A lesser director would have stuck a virtual camera onto the thing that's going to go and check out the worm and yep. you would have yeah. but like sitting sitting in yeah. the thing with these guys and just like you know it's kind of like you know the shark in jaws type yes. logic mm. where it's just yeah. like little glimpses yeah. from yeah. a distance and even from a distance it's fucking huge yeah. you're not seeing anything you're just seeing sand spraying out yeah. it's yeah. like here it comes oh it's coming yeah. closer it's coming closer it's that dread yeah. that mounting dread yeah. but by the time you finally see it again with so, like so much in this movie you've earned you've earned it you've earned the slurp to yep. go back to like the Frank Herbert of it all I think just even like I love the like walk without rhythm so you don't attract the worm like, yeah. Yeah. I think that's so cool dude like <laughs> yeah. that the worm is like attracted to the sonic rhythms and yeah. like that's how it detects where there's like oh there's something for me to gobble up over here yeah. I think that is just like that's just awesome freaking fantasy bullshit dude I love it it's like dragons and stuff you know yeah, yeah, I just yeah. think it's so freaking awesome well it's such a 
it's such a small left of centre mm. yet also at the same time logical thing yeah do you know what I mean like it yeah. makes sense but you've like what without rhythm like I'd be dead like I've yeah. got so much rhythm it's a fucking disaster <laughs> yeah dude we see you bopping and striding oh my along Lord, dude. it's a disaster yeah. like I'd be I'd be slurped down by yeah. a worm in no time good lord like they'll be fighting over you yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah this is a disaster if only I could walk without rhythm uh uh, we kind of talked about the world building quite a bit. One of the things that I did miss from the David Lynch mm. was... Um, Sting's body. The two things I missed Sting from... Uh, yeah, Sting and Patrick Stewart holding a pug. Yeah. Mate, like, if there is not a war with pugs, I yeah. will be fucking out. That's actually... I will turn. The main thing... Violently, yeah. I will turn. The main thing I missed was the discussion that you can milk cats in the, oh, yeah. in the David Lynch fight. So yeah. hopefully it's in part two. Yeah, yeah fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the thing that the David Lynch film, I think, is uh, definitively has over this mm. is Lynch's film... And I think it's, you know, because we've been discussing Lynch's films and there's all the, uh, the, the undertones dirt. of audio and that. The Lynch film looks smelly. It yeah, looks like yeah, a stinky, stinky. Yeah. Uh, world. and uh, Fungal. Like maybe if we get more of the Harkonnens, we'll get more of that, yeah. that smell. I wasn't getting much in the way of smell from this film. You got it with the uh, texture of the mud. That, yeah. uh, that Baron was yes. uh, healing in when yeah. he got that little sheen of oh, the yeah. rainbow the oiliness. Oil. It was disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And I love his big old body in it. Oh, and I yeah. like it almost as much. I don't know what. I don't know what I like more because I love Baron Harkonnen in the Lynch film he's got all those boils and yes. things and like he's got kind of like this fat tumorous neck in this yeah. one yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that and I read Stellan Skarsgård like absolutely adored being in that fat oh, suit oh yeah yeah <laughs> he, de- got, he demanded some, more nude I've got some squid scenes. bits yeah, yeah he, he really embraced he demanded more fat he wanted yeah. more nude scenes more nude so scenes. he could be <laughs> naked in the suit more yeah. and like in the freaking globbiness of it all yeah, yeah. he loved yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've covered this a little bit but when Dune was written many of the story subplots were metaphors for the issues in the Middle East issues Mm. that still plague us today spice is a replacement for oil water is an issue as a metaphor and a reality Mm. um this is a brainy blockbuster, one you can have fun with on the surface as as you said Ben but can also dig into um the film's success proves that these types of movies are still viable right Mm. like this like Will this inspire people to make some... Not, Of course, there's still going to be those yeah. trashy blockbusters, but do you think we? it might just remind people you can still make some brainy stuff? Whenever they, this happens, though, it's always bad. Yeah. Like, you look at um, when Lord of the Rings came out, mm. then you get freaking Aragon, then you get Golden Compass, mm. you, know, you get the freaking Percy Jackson movies yep. after yep. Harry Potter as well. Yep. Like, whenever there's, like, a big breakthrough like this, the immediate reaction is to... What are the other big ones that we can adapt? Mm-hmm, and right. then how can we do it faster, cheaper, with uh, less gargantuan talents? Yeah. So I think that, yeah, we're probably going to get Hyperion or something in a couple of years made by, like, I don't know, some freaking Jason Reitman or some hack. You know, I'm trying to think of... I don't know who... I, Paul W.S. Anderson's going to make one. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who, like, the hacks are anymore. But, like, you know, the guy that made Chernobyl will probably make one. Yeah. I think, I think we're... Yeah, that is, me call, that is me calling him a hack on the record. Yeah, I know. And Jason <laughs> Reitman as well. Yeah. Well, you know. 
he was a guy that came into my head thinking yeah. about Ghost of Busters again. <laughs> Ghost of Busters. Have you seen yeah. that? No, I won't. Um, I, I will see at- it only because Carrie Coon is in it. Yeah. I think we're at the end of... I think that this is the, probably the last gasp of this kind of filmmaking. Mm. I, I, I feel like it's kind of... The, 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 I, I, I would be surprised if cinemas are a place that people even go to mm. en masse five to ten years from now. I think the Oh uh, no, I think that I disagree. Really? It's communal. People really, really like it. Yeah. People missed it so much. I would say that gave me hope was seeing how much people have been going back and seeing like big movies like this and then, you know, all the kind of marvelly blockbusters that have been coming out yeah. since. I think seeing people want to go back and be part of community again because it was I taken hope. away from them. I hope so. I think that uh, to me it 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 you know, it's always going to change like the way that we interact with film media mm. it is going to change because we it's so accessible at home now but it's also so inaccessible at home where it's like there's things that you can't watch you can't see and I think there's always going to be a place for like the big communal uh, communal aspect mm. of seeing big films man I, I, I really hope so uh, my, my fear is that you know, stuff like this, the more nuanced stuff will just be crowded out as it has been increasingly over the last decade by the 42 Disney mm. Marvel movies, you know, just on and on and on. Like, is there is even though this is a success, it's still a massive investment for a studio. Yeah. yeah. And I just wonder if it's just easier to kind of pump out the stuff that. Is, is a known yeah. quantity. I think you're right. I think it is easier to pump those out. And that's why I see so much of that bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like... The one I keep bringing up, Ghostbusters, how it looks like there's so much like nostalgia or a Boros coming out all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know... But I think even mainstream audiences are beginning to feel the fatigue of the Marvel machine and stuff. I think, so, yeah. I think that we are like Eternals is a bit of an example of it all. I think the failure of a lot of the DC movies to really strike a chord with a big mainstream mm. audience. Mm. And I think unfortunately, wow. uh, this is quite rude to say, but I think that there has been a lot of uh, audiences have, have been infantilized a lot yes. by it's these. Well, you know, there could be an infant listening to this or something, you know? <laughs> Don't compare me to a 45-year-old who loves Marvel. Yeah, but I think that there is, um, you know, well, you know, actually people that listen to this podcast are the complete opposite of that. People that want to dig deeper into the popular culture they that they watch. Um, I think that there is, but, you know, we have to agree that there is, like, there is an infantilism to a lot of, like, the popular culture that people yes. are thinking now where they're like, oh, it's the stuff I liked as a kid, but now it's big. I think Star Wars is a really good example of that yeah. where they... The Star Wars fans, they for most for a lot of them, they got what they wanted. But then there's a this hunger for people to go. But it's so kiddy, it's so dark. Why, why, why is it not dark? So that is oh, something insufferable. I find that insufferable. But then I'm like, yeah, but surely they must like this then, because that's what I felt watching it. I was like, this must be doing well because there is that um, there is that bracket of a mainstream population that is hungering for something that is darker than that, but still has similar visual aesthetic or mm. some kind of something that they want something deeper. You know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I hope so. My my, my lack of faith in the audiences. Uh, that you know, people just kind of want this, the the pap, 
just spoon feed it to me Ooh. and you know the, the, the fact that this and I'm not saying that this is the hideous movie it's not no it's still a, it's still a blockbuster I would but say it's even, not even almost barely philosophical this movie yeah, yeah. but it, it, is it still too philosophical for that audience that just went pew 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 pew, pew and to see you know oh I know that oh there's a Star Destroyer mm. I mean look as much as I'm looking forward to the Matrix movie and yeah. I am and I said this to you that yeah. the trailer came out like you know I criticise all those people that watch the Star Wars trailer and weep when the yeah. fucking Millennium Falcon I'm just as susceptible it turns out I didn't yeah. think I was <laughs> I cried like a baby during that wow. Matrix trailer I cried I like, trust the pod. Yeah. <laughs> I trust Wachowski enough that there's going to be something really interesting going on with that I predict that Ma- the Matrix 4 will be a criticism of the current screen culture that we're all in wow. that we're all siloed into our own individual matrixes now wow, wow that's wow. what I think it'll be by the way quick question Dune is a big hit yep and is it a big hit? And Eternals was a fail. No, I'm just going. Oh, oh. So I'm going by the okay. the mainstream narrative. Mm. And Eternals was a failure, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know monetarily if it's a failure, but critically it was not well received at all. Because yeah. I think it was trying to strike some kind of balance between uh, Chloe Zhao yeah. artistic film and Marvel blockbuster, and yeah. then people that want one didn't get the other. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. No. Uh, but just going as one's successful and mm. one's not successful uh, Dune so far has made 374 million worldwide and Eternal so far has made 371 million worldwide wow uh, so that's interesting. Like I don't, I don't normally look up this kind of stuff, but yeah. I was just a bit fascinated yeah. while we were talking. Uh, anyone yeah, want to take a guess about James Bond? Uh, oh, James Bond, I'm guessing is 560 million. Yeah, what a boom! Oh, was like? I right? Se- 756. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was right. But interesting though. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, I think the, the Bond audience is drawing in a boomer audience that would neither see Eternals or um, Dune. Mm, when I went to the cinema not. the other day, a lot of people. 55 and older were going into Bond yeah. Yeah. when I saw Bond probably two uh, two week after it come out or a week yeah. um, it was packed yeah. yeah and it was sold out big cinema wow. George Street events wow. yeah 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 interesting with Eternals just as a side quest for a second mm. with Eternals is that is that much less than what a Marvel movie would normally do they're uh, usually pulling in a bill but you know, yeah. with restrictions, but it's, 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 to... it's, a, it's a different because I than that. I mm. think what's going on with the Marvel thing, and I think that Marvel and Disney are underestimating how I reckon there's a massive segment of the audience that are like, I got, I'm done. Yeah, like I got the full narrative mm-hmm. with uh, Endgame, and the idea that I'm now going to embark on another ten year cycle. Yeah. Getting to know a whole new cast of characters, I'm I'm good. I'm and kind of done. Especially we've moved on from their like contemporary science fiction of that saga mm. to mystical fantasy. Yeah. I think people don't have the same appetite for that kind of no. stuff unless it is a little bit more perhaps austere the way that this is or the way Lord of the Rings is. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man will still make Spider-Man like $2 huge. billion. Dollars. But that's because it's going to be people our age going like, yeah. I want to see Defoe. Yeah. And I think as well, I would say Spider-Man is... I think it'll actually... Like it's pretty interesting big concept even though I would much rather you know I think we were talking Alexi god I would just love to like Spider-Man to me should be a TV series that's like a kitchen sink drama you know like he should be doing jobs around the house and you know that kind of thing he should be it should be more 
Like I want more time with Aunt I want, May, yeah. uh, with you know all Ned Leeds. I want all yeah. of that kind of go more that's what working class, a little yeah. bit less of the freaking billionaire propaganda that you know Marvel is. Go <laughs> yes, this poor kid from Queens absolutely loves the freaking Tony Stark billionaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh boy, I get, I've got to be a problem with those the way the MCU Spider-Man has been. The direction of it. That's funny. My friend has the same issue. He's like, yeah. he doesn't have spider senses. He's just Iron Man Junior. Yeah, that's I because I Spider Man truly is maybe the last movie star. Like in yeah. the way that like everyone will see a Spider Man movie. You know, yeah, yeah. even if you don't watch Avengers, you're going to see a Spider Man yeah, movie. Yeah, People yeah. love Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think the Spider Man one will be huge, and then I think after, and then maybe Black Panther two. But I reckon mm. I I really think. You know, like I, uh, there's a lot of the kids that I used to work with were big Marvel heads. Yeah. And then when I went back to visit um, after leaving that job, you know, the, I was like, oh, have you watched the TV series? And all of them were just like, eh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not into it. I and watched like, well, none the, of them. Yeah. If the kids are cycling out, yeah. mm, what are you What are you left with? Yeah. You know, it's it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I think the superhero movies maybe are going where the Western went. In the 50s. Mm. It's like, you know, it's kind of... It's it's now in the postmodern phase, you know, the searches phase where yeah. it's commenting on itself. Mm. And maybe uh, after that, where can it really go? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's every aspect of entertainment. Not respected, respected, mm. starts to uh, unlock itself and mm-hmm. kind of look mm. at itself and push back against the tropes. Mm. And then you're cooked. Yeah, and I think, and I think, you know, as interesting as it is for us, people like us who grew up on comics, where it's you now multiverse and yeah. alternate versions of characters, and da, 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 does the mainstream audience, you know, I, I think the films are going to start having the same problem that the comics did, where it's like, oh god, it's all too webbed yeah. up and yeah. messy now. Who and, do I believe? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, Robert yeah. Pattinson, who's he? Like, yeah, is yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. The uh, like, from what I like, I haven't really gone looking for it, but mm. I'm just talking about stuff that turns up in your feed. Uh, the new Hawkeye series is getting like relatively low numbers compared to mm. what it would uh, those things normally get and it's by far the most fun series they've made since WandaVision mm. like it's really fun you know and just it's overload man it's, it's just much. overload too yeah you know I, it's funny i think uh, i'm not necessarily 100% certain that we're there with the movies but i think the influx of TV shows has meant that it's never out of the feed and it's like I think that's possibly weirdly the thing that might I think do so. more damage yeah I, it, to me it now feels like the, the, the machine of Disney is like you know what Time's running out. TikTok. We've only probably got another mm. three or four more years before the general public lose their taste. Yeah. Let's just fucking flood the market and just bust the whole thing. You know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, getting June. back to uh, June, there's been some accusations against the depiction of the Fremen as an example of appropriation. In this case, against the Arab world. Um, I personally don't see it that way. I don't mm. see it as appropriation. I see it more as a critique of colonialism yeah um, is this how you saw the film as well Alexi or how do you feel about that um, like I was saying before the that uh, article I read by Roxana Haddadi that kind of that helped me 
unlock a little bit more of it or mm. kind of understand a little bit more but I don't really I don't think I can speak too much to it but there is like a history of uh, you know uh, orientalism and exoticism in cinema mm. yeah. and to me I find it personally very hard to break out of me understanding it from a cinematic history point of view mm. so I think I speak on it with such a different bias where I'm mm. like to be honest those are things that I like in movies mm. like I love Temple of Doom uh, Doom not Temple of Doom that's actually <laughs> where I worship this film um, but I love Temple of Doom I love uh, Lost Horizon yeah. like you know classic 1930s like adventure yep. films I have a I have a love of like the uh, the the visual language of like the exoticism they put in so I can't speak of it with any kind of proper mm. thought apart from going like yeah I think it looks cool when they do that kind of yeah. stuff yeah. but you know I understand it it's hurtful to people mm. uh, or it can be hurtful to people mm. yeah but how do you so my like you know how do you tell a story about colonialism mm. and not depict exactly people and- that you know like how can you not to, like, is it appropriation if you're critiquing? Yeah. Like, it can't, like, because you, you can't, like, if they, you, you can't critique if you're not showing what you're critiquing, yeah, of right? of course. And, mm. you know, with seven and a half billion people on the planet, there's going to be people from that culture that are offended. There's people that, from that culture that are not going to be offended. There's going to oh, be mate, every yeah. reaction, you know. Mate. It's like the, Lord, the the criticism of Lord of the Rings. And it's like, it's all white cast and the only uh, people of colour that you see are those guys yeah. at the end riding elephants. And I've seen people of all races that are for it and against it and yeah. who don't give a shit and who do give a shit. We, and it's like, uh, like it's, it's, it's English mythology, mm. you know, like, yeah, of course it's going to be. And now the Amazon series apparently is going to have, you know, a multiracial cast of wizards and hobbits and elves and stuff. Mm. And I've seen people of all races again going, that's a dumb decision because it's English mythology and right. that, that wouldn't make sense within right. the context. I mean, I don't know, like... I, I'm similar to you, Alexi. Yeah. I kind of like I, I I don't really have a horse in the race, and so I yeah. can't really offer a firm opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. Um, it looks cool. Yeah, uh, I think it looks awesome. You know, <laughs> it's funny. The uh, we had a person on the chase the other day tell mm. a funny story about um, going somewhere overseas and being served this really delicious food, and when he was eating it, and he said to. Um, he said to the cook, he was like, oh, what's that? And um, a rat was in the corner and he pointed to it and everyone looked at him and went, Ying! and, you know, so that was the story, right? And so, wow, and that was, and that was the, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I write these jokes off the back of it, you know, blah, 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 just kind of wrote something about it being the new white meat or whatever. Mm. And our producer was like, hey, is this, is this, racist is someone going to complain about this and i was like well i think the majority of people will be fine and the people who are going to complain will complain Mm. but it's there was nothing other than like the story was you know he had fucking rodent and and they took it and they and they all enjoyed that he did and didn't know it you know so anyway people are going to be offended um you've already mentioned a little bit Ben that you kind of know where the story of uh, Paul goes and uh, you know but part of what I really enjoy about Oscar Isaac's performance is even though he's a good person you know there's something like 
Paul is the heir of a fascist. Like, he still comes in, even though he's being much nicer mm. to everyone, he just goes, oh, well, I've got this now. Yep, I own it, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, so, do, so do you know where the Paul story goes? Because I don't quite know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm literally basing this off the uh, Red Letter Media yeah. discussion that I wow. watched the yeah. other day where uh, they kind of hint at, you know, that this isn't as it seems. Can I yep. tell you something that I noticed with this film while I was watching it? I don't really... I don't know how I feel about it or anything, but to me in this film, there was like no normal person. Like there's no one that's like, you never see the perspective of like just some guy for like a second or something like that, mm. you know? Yeah, the news news agent guy. Yeah, exactly. Or mm. like, you know, some worker, some sanitation guy. And I found that strange where I was like, I'll be honest, like there's, there were points I go like, I, who is what? Like what is, who do these guys rule over? Because you don't see anyone. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know what I point? mean. Yeah. That was something about this film that I just kind of didn't understand. I'm like, why? There's no character for me to relate to because there's no freaking schlub loser anywhere, you know? Right. That's true. For for a movie that is so big with so much vast space, you very mm. rarely see anything. subjects. Yeah, subjects or anything outside of governance or any kind of yeah, like well, even or... even like the Harkonnens. Like you don't really mm. see what's like. The Fremen are the closest that you see to like a normal person, but then yeah. they're like, but then we still go, well, that's probably a princess. That's the leader. You get the, the guy that's watering the palm trees. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only kind of. That's it. But he still works for the government. Yeah. He's still yeah. duty bound to these yeah. trees. Yeah, exactly. Are the, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, there is uh, there's there's no there's big no scene shot. of everyone giving the thumbs up, yeah. you know. Yeah. There's no like, you know, Aladdin would be a movie where it's like, you know, Aladdin's a normal guy, but like Jasmine goes out to the Mm-mm-mm, to the marketplace, to, the marketplace yeah. to meet her subjects. There's no marketplace scene. Yeah, I mean in freaking Black Panther, it's another movie where we're living in the heights of the royalty and stuff. Yeah. But you know, there's a marketplace scene. Yeah, yeah. But also yeah. is it weird that I'm going, I wish there was a marketplace scene in this movie <laughs> so I, I could see I, a guy eating a plum. Or something, right, but it is <laughs> a desert plum. Yeah, but a guy selling a plum to someone—that's all I wanted in this movie for like but, three seconds. No, no, no. But it is—it's a—it's a fair point. Like mm. it is like there's like there literally could have been a scene that takes place already in the movie with yep. them wa- walking through a marketplace, yeah. and it could have just shown you what people like. Well, not on, we, not on Dune though, because like, isn't it just that they've relocated the government to Dune mm. to mine spies? No, no, so no, but like no, a, but you know, we see other places. So but there could yeah, be like a street it. stall there because they got to yeah. eat somehow. It's not just like yeah, unless they just you know one well, guy walks around and gives them everything. All well, it'd be interesting to see what normal people's yeah. reaction to Paul is. What that Toledo is, you know, mm. like like you know Star Wars. Yeah, the first like twenty minutes, you're in the big star destroyer, and then you're out in the desert. But then it's like you meet a farmer. Then they go to a bar club thing. It's like yeah, yeah. you get a little bit of taste of everything. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, maybe that lends itself to the kind of theme of the whole film. That it's like, what what, what are they doing all this for? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It, it, who's it for? Yeah, who's it for? But it doesn't seem to be for anyone other than their own sense yeah. of self-aggrandizement and yeah. you know, just moving chess pieces on a board mm. for, for what? Like they're that's fucking true. You never yeah. see civilians. Yeah, there's not a moment. Like from another closest thing, and that's it. But they've got their own thing happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean maybe that maybe I mean maybe that will be a theme of the second film mm. when we do go underground with the Fremen yeah. and we do yeah. see 
actual humanity, actual humans, actual it, interaction. Kind of get a little bit when you know the where they go escape with Jason Momoa. That's like a house or something like that, mm, right? Mm, right. But yeah. it's like, yeah, that'll be interesting to see in the second mm. film if you know if if that's a theme that kind of um, yeah. is more explored. I just want to see a fruit vendor. <laughs> that's what I need. That's how I can relate to movies where there's Bye a guy, there's some sort of fishmonger, fruit <laughs> vendor, a butcher, a fishmonger. On yeah, June. exactly. A baker, <laughs> something. We could be selling Buy tiny sandworms. Sand I like that. <laughs> could have snuck in a Sasha Baron Cohen in character yeah, kind of exactly. performance. Something yeah, like that. I would love. Oh, that would be the most miscut. Ah, oh, jeez, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Doing a doing a Dune version of Borat. No thanks. Um, no, it's a joke. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I hope it's in uh, Dune Part Two. Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, I'm going to skip some of this stuff. Uh, all right. Uh, was there any particular scene that uh, stood out to you? Was there a favourite? That fuck it. That battle was. Mm. I, I was saying to Justin before you arrived. That was the first time I've seen. CG spectacle in I can't remember how long where back of my head I'm like yeah I know it I know it's probably CG mm. but front part of my brain just like a little kid like how are they doing this yeah. it looks so yeah. real yeah yeah and it, it just the way he shoots digitally shoots stuff that's not there mm. is remarkable I can't think of another modern director that pulls off special effects like that where yeah, it, look, yeah. it feels real it's basically like Spielberg at his height basically right yeah, yeah but I yeah. mean uh, but with today's technology yeah but yeah. is there another but like honestly like you see spectacle like that and I'll, I'll send you this video but in this mm. video on YouTube they really talk about you know the way so many modern directors will use the virtual camera and it's like zoom, yeah. like whizzing around and so just in your head you're like oh I know that's not real yeah uh, whereas he's you know he really locks the camera in mm. um, the way he, the, the, the example that they talk about in this video is like when a CG explosion goes off in like a Marvel movie no light levels change yeah. on the character's face so it's clearly yeah. just them standing in front yeah. of the blue screen or green screen but we're in this you know an explosion goes off behind those soldiers running yeah. and they all just turn into shadow yeah yeah, because that's how light works so it, it, I've always criticised CG but watching this movie I was like oh it's not C- it's not the it's problem not, of CG mm. it's, it's, it's the way use people it. use it yeah. Yeah. because when it's used properly my god there wasn't a moment where I doubted the reality yeah. of what I was seeing mm. fully aware that it couldn't be real. Yeah. But being in that mindset of like, is it a model? Is it like, what? Is yeah. it multiple forms of special effects all in one? I just flawed. I honestly, maybe since Nolan with some of those scenes from Interstellar, I that yeah. was probably the last time I watched mm. a massive special effects thing and just, oh my God. Yeah. Alexi? Um, the scene that's kind of stayed in my head weirdly is that pain box whatever that oh man that was a scorcher of a scene yeah that stuck with me as well like everything about Charlotte Rampling's performance Mm. and uh, you know Ferguson hanging in the background and Ferguson in the next room and like being sent in by his mother and she can't just because of the nature of it can't explain what's about to happen Mm. to him and I found that really powerfully brought to the screen this time that the Lynch film doesn't quite capture mm, like the yeah. Lynch film is like Carl McLaughlin's are great in like expressing the pain that he's feeling but yep. I think with this it's like captures a lot of like the tension of it all and it, yeah. it's really stuck with me that scene you don't doubt that she'll kill him yeah you don't oh, doubt for yeah. a second she'll yeah. kill him yeah. 
I yeah. put my hand under the grill just to try <laughs> yeah. see what was going on. I put it on. in the toaster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, it's like, you know, like McLaughlin goes for that whole like, oh, yeah. like Kabuki stuff. Yeah. Whereas mm. that first like inkling of pain that Chalamet like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Mm, 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 yeah. Mm. He likes it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's more an acknowledgement of... Mm. This isn't good because mm. I'm experiencing this now. Yeah. And I have a feeling this is going to get worse. Yeah. 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 Uh, a few more questions. Uh, now that Paul is on the road with the locals to fulfill his destiny, is this a story about overthrowing a corrupt and vile empire? Or is this a story about a fundamentalist religion rising to power to subjugate the empire itself? Well, yeah, I guess it's those, both of those, both. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's both. yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Like when you really like, I've been. It's it's funny. It's like, I think you know when we first left and we when I got mm. something to eat and there was, yeah. uh, you, you're kind of overwhelmed by it. Mm. And then as the days kind of move on and it, it settles and you know I was thinking that we were going to do this podcast and you start yeah. thinking about it, you're like, man, this is this is fascinating. There's all these uh, strands and I have no idea. Well, it's the yeah. horror of all like human uprising. It's like, you know, the, the, the oppressed overthrow the oppressor only to become the oppressor again. Yeah. You know, and we, we talked a bit about this with the matrix um, movies where it's like, let the record show I smiled again at yeah, the reference of the Matrix. Yeah. Still smiling. But yeah. You know, like, you know, you watch Matrix as a younger person. Mm. You're like, ah, oh, Cypher fucking sucks. Mm. Like, you know, and it's like, well, I don't agree with him electrocuting and killing people. Yeah. As an older person, I get it. He spent yeah. 10 years in this fucking shit with this lunatic going, I believe yeah. in the one. And you're like, dude, you're a, you're kind of a bit of a fascist yourself. You just want yeah. to go back to Sydney at a certain point, you know? <laughs> Mate, relax. Take around Martin Place for a second, dude. Yeah, yeah be back, back to pre-9-11 time. Yeah. Please. Yeah. yeah. I just want to freaking see the monorail one last time, dude. Take me back. Yeah. Uh, I personally can't wait to see what happens with, uh, uh, you know, Charlotte Rampling and all that, that mm. side of it and their machinations and what they're trying to mm. fulfill. Mm. Um, I've already mentioned, I had the question there, are there any parts of Lynch's Dune that you prefer to this version I, that we've already kind of discussed that I like yeah. I like that it smells a bit yeah. a bit gross uh, I feel like this movie didn't say the word spice enough that was spice like yeah. like in in Lynch's version it, it's good that it's essentially a comma yeah um, <laughs> so are you looking forward to part two which I feel like everyone is no, but how, how do you feel if this becomes a proper movie franchise because there are mm. How many books did Frank Herbert actually write? I think he Dune? wrote three or... I'll I think he up. did... I think it's Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune. There might be one more, but then I know Brian Herbert did like a few as well. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm good with just the two-parter. You know, I, I think they're doing three, definitely. I think they? it's definitely doing Dune Messiah as well. What? That's been one movie. I think that's the plan. But I don't I, know if it's look, been greenlit, but that's the plan. You know, I think uh, I think the history of franchises has shown us that sometimes enough is enough. Mm. And sometimes when you try to have more of the good thing, it yeah. starts to lose the essence of what you loved. You know, if Guillermo del Toro had made one Hobbit movie, it probably would have been great. Yeah, true. But, uh, you know, the fact now that you know, the Hobbit movies are bundled in with the Lord of the Rings movies as if it was always meant to be this mm. way. And it's like, no, but they're fundamentally at odds with yeah, the Yeah, I movies. really they're, like those Hobbit movies because they're crazy. They're fucking... Hang on, do you, uh, the Peter Jackson films? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can yeah, I tell yeah. you, well, nothing appeals to me more than ambitious science fiction fantasy failure. 
And oh, I love them as pieces of like shit. I think they're, they're spectacular on that. I mate. think they're spectacular. Like they're crazy. <laughs> like you know, the moment I, f- I saw the is first. It, sorry, isn't there a, like in the first film? Uh, Adam Richard told me there's mm. like a 20 minute musical scene, and yep. that mm. was the moment that I was like. Thank goodness I'm never going to see these films. Oh, there. I saw it opening. I saw it in America. Like, uh, we went to cinema to go see it when we were on holiday there. And I remember just going, like, I don't like this. And I never saw the other two. But then, like, I got back into fantasy at film school and I wanted to make, like, a fantasy. Mm. I made a fantasy film as my, like, final project. Really? And, yeah, it's... uh, It's, it's like, a comedy. Like, it's a silly, gross comedy. Um, But um, I love fantasy fantasy for those things so I went back and watched like those movies and I watched the extended editions they're crazy they appeal to me so much because they're crazy like when there's that little scroblet goblin who's like a little scribe who's like I love it I was like that's that's my dream that little character so no you're going to have to explain that to me what is it just just give me a give me a three sentence explanation CGI tumour that takes Mm, notes for no 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 no, but what is it before you call it a tumour it's a goblin it's a goblin but but it looks like a little tumor yeah, on a, it looks on a, crazy. On a, on a, like the whole thing's crazy. And he's I've, like, I've, he's I've, Barry Humphrey's scribe. It's yeah, like yeah. crazy. I've got the extended editions on Blu ray. Like, I'm, obsessed, like I'm obsessed with all of it. so crazy. I've to all the commentaries and everything because it's like, it's the prequel, ver- it's like mm, the prequel it equivalent really is. of the Lord of the Rings. It's and like, in the final film, there's like a thousand decapitations. I'm like, what is this? I thought nuts. this was kids. I don't know. They're really psycho and I love them. I love like, <laughs> I love like really insane, like visionary, ambitious fantasy stuff. Yeah, and it's psycho. Unhinged director. I'm glad Guillermo didn't get the movie because oh, I, I like these crazy ones. Oh, it's like it's. Well, we've talked about it on this podcast, but it really is the. It's the. Uh, it's the mad director who mm. has no one next to him going. Yeah. Mm. Dial it back, brother. Well, it was only meant to be one, wasn't it? And then they expanded it's it insane. to three. It was yeah. meant to be. It was going to be one, then they got two, yeah. and then they expanded to three partly because he was like, I don't know how to finish this. Can I have another movie to yeah. try and figure it out? Like laying down tracks. It's, yeah. it's- That's terrifying. Um, <laughs> so good to know there's just those movies out there that I'll never see. Um, by the way, Frank Herbert wrote six Dune books. Six. Dune, yeah. Dune Messiah, Children, Children of, of Dune, Dune, God, Emperor of Dune, oh, yeah. Heretics of Dune, Chapter House. Yeah, see, what if by the third one, Denny goes as insane as Lucas yeah, and Pat Jackson? Like He's that. like, I, I can see it now. A, a virtual camera that swings through the I desert. I love and, it. No, 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 no. I would love it. All the characters are worms at one point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when they get unwieldy. Who, who would, who would, so the worms can talk. Yeah, I who's, would love who's, it. Who's the actor that you want to hear? Chris Pratt. Sing? Yeah, Chris Pratt. <laughs> I would love him. I would love him. One of the great voice actors of our time. Chris Pratt. Well, oh, geez, I'm a huge worm. Yeah, I would Chris Pratt and Ben Schwartz as Sonic again. I want Sonic back in this. Amazing. All right. Uh, any last thoughts on the film before we get to the squid bits? Go see it on the big screen. Yeah. For sure. yeah. Big screen, Absolutely. big sound. Yeah. yeah. Big if, screen, big sound. If you're doing cur- Curious... Go and see it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. uh, if you're in Sydney, please go to the spectacular Hayden Orpheum scene mm, yes. in that wonderful main yes. theatre with all the ornate uh, yeah. bits and bobs all over the place. Really, yeah. really aided it. I yeah. would say wonderful. those big ones, like if you, the biggest cinema as well, not just big screen. Mm. Yeah. It's like one though, when you go to those ones, it's not a bad seat in the house. You can sit freaking anywhere. Yeah, man. Yeah. An auditorium. Yeah. Yeah. Extreme screen, VMAX, yeah. Orpheum. <laughs> it was do pretty one of those. overwhelming. Yeah, we 
saw an extreme screen or whatever extreme it is. Extreme screen the would have been a lot because yeah. Orpheum's big, but it's mm, no yeah. extreme screen. Extreme yeah. screen was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and so beautifully loud in there as well. Yeah. Fuck, I might go and see this again. Yeah, let's go and do it after this. Yeah, yeah. I'd, so I'd actually be up for that. I'd love it. Some squid bits for you that you might find interesting. Charlotte Rampling was in the mix to play Lady Jessica in the very first attempted movie mm, of adaptation course. of Dune. Uh, Zendaya, we've barely spoken about her, um, but she, she, she's she's uh, great in it. Though. She's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's got such presence, mm. and when she, when she finally has her moments with Chalamet, they're great. Uh, she won her role after a chemistry read with Chalamet, so she yeah. everyone else was kind of given wow. their roles, and they just tested it. And Seeing they, uh, them together doing some press together has been very fun. So uh, I believe that those. So did you see the one where the the question that was asked yeah. by viewers was, uh, uh, "Who's your uh, movie crush or yeah. something like that?" And this was before the stuff came out about yeah. her dating Holland and Chalamet is just like, "Oh well, it has to be Tom Holland," and she yeah. just giggles a little bit. And it's they've been really cute. fun. They've been yeah, like cute sweet. on their press circuit together. Yeah, and like I was like, "Oh yeah, I buy. That's total real chemistry." Mm. Yeah, and there was a great little press one where he was talking to someone. And Timothy Chalamet talked about how when he was 15 at a YouTube channel about how he would like modern sell Xbox controllers and then people <laughs> found it. And it's like, oh my God, like he doesn't show his face in it. Be like, that's 100% him <laughs> yeah. as a 15 year old making these Xbox controls to sell right. them. So good. They, um, they'd also never met before wow. they, they'd, they'd kind of bumped into each other once at an airport but that mm. was about it so to see that yeah. uh, that real chemistry is fantastic Chalamet actually auditioned for the role of Spider-Man that went uh, to Tom Holland yeah no I, no no no, no. He, yeah. look, he can do anything yeah. but I like Tom Holland Same. as Spider-Man I think it's really Tom Holland's suits very him. funny He's yeah, really yeah. funny. Uh, you know, Chalamet can be funny. Yeah, but, but Tom, Tom Holland's Holland like is actual funny. Yeah. You know, he's got. Uh, well, his dad's a comedian. Yeah, you know, so he's kind of got that in the bones kind of thing. Yeah, uh, Josh Brolin signed on without reading the script. Oh, he just yeah, went. You would, but he's also yeah. in Villeneuve's. Like he's yeah. in Sicario and stuff. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway. Uh, Brolin also farted a lot while shooting inside the wow. Ornithopter. Co-star That's Sharon awesome. Duncan Brewster said, my man Josh Brolin tended to fart a lot wow. when we were in the Ornithopter. What? So I don't know if that... So if yeah. I don't... So I don't know if that had to do with motion or with diet, but that's one of the things that would always pluck a laugh from me. He seems like a farter. He seems like a farter, I'd say and a that. chuckler after farting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he pulled a Mikey. Yeah. So Stellan Skarsgård spent eight hours in the makeup every day wow, you don't hear to get that, made up for Baron Harkonnen. Mm. Uh, you know what that reminds me of, Ben? Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time I see full on makeup, I always think of that lingering the best scene. Wow. The best shot in that oh movie. my god! You know, seen I haven't seen it since it came out. Oh it's man, yeah. it's the, just the slow mm. pushing, isn't you it? You don't hear of that very often these days because they've streamlined um, mm. prosthetics so that it only takes a couple of hours. So you don't often yeah. hear of the eight hour makeup yeah. shot. Yeah, that freaking Jim Carrey FBI torture with standing training. You know. <laughs> For the Grinch. Oh, yeah. yeah. He had to go undergo FBI tor- like torture training so he could like stand being in the make- like makeup chair that long. Can, can, can I just say that that's, that's too much? Yeah. 
Jim Carrey's a bit too much to be yeah, honest. He's anyway. crazy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David Dasmalshian said this about Skarsgård. The first thing scene we did together was in the steam room. He was in his barren manifestation, which is grotesque. It's horrifying. It's so overwhelmingly intimidating. And yet through all of that incredible prosthetic and design, his eyes and his voice are the most powerful part of wow. his performance. He just scared the crap out of me. Mm, great. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and you yeah, can yeah. feel wow. it, can't you? Yeah, yeah, Never yeah. insane. Um, Momoa watched the season finale of Game of Thrones season 8 while shooting the movie in a behind the scenes video that Momoa uploaded on his YouTube channel he dedicated one of his fight scenes to his good friend Amelia Clark. he said I just saw the season finale of Game of Thrones last night this fight's for you Khaleesi <laughs> wow uh, I think he's trying I think he's trying to get her in, I read a, I don't know Ooh. if it's a rumour, but maybe he's trying to, you know, there might be some Amber Heard pushed out of wow. Aquaman. And, but it's interesting that those two, considering the on-screen relationship, mm. you know, the, yeah, I think he was uh, kind of like yeah. quite a big brother yeah, towards yeah, yeah. it. And it's interesting that I love that stuff. Not, she's not that character. In Aquaman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, this is the second time Aquaman. that Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem have acted in the same movie. Anyone want to take a uh, guess? Yes, No Country for Old Men. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. This is the second time that Villeneuve has worked with Dave Bautista since Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Bautista was waiting for auditions to open oh, God, to see I if... he was in this. To see if Great he, head. To see if he could be on the... He was waiting for auditions to open to see if he could be on the film and Denise called and, and, and asked him to play the role of Rabin and he was totally flawed to be directly chosen for the film, which yeah. that makes me like him. What a sweet guy. He's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. He's half Filipino, half Greek. He has a flag on each arm of both of, both of those <laughs> ethnicities. Yeah. So I absolutely think the guy is awesome. a lovely mix. Yeah. yeah. And it turned out beautiful, that recipe. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, perfect the recipe they got there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alexi, you'll be very happy with mm. this. The scene where the character of Thufa Hawat, is that how you pronounce his name? Played by Stephen McKinley Henderson, yep. is seen carrying a parasol, came from the fact the actor was given one between scenes. Oh, wow. And because of uh, like because the heat was so much, they said, oh, we've got this here. He's oh, yeah, that's great. And then Denny saw this and went, oh, we'll incorporate that in the film. And it's such a... Tasty little mm-hmm. treat. It's like I Dr. Love Moreau it. or something. Yeah. It's really yeah. great. It's so good. Uh, when in Abu Dhabi, they could only shoot between 5.30 a.m. and 7.00 a.m. because the heat was so intense, the cameras would melt. Jesus Christ. Whoa, so an hour and a half a day. Yeah. That's outrageous. That's yeah. awful. Yeah, How can yeah. you get anything done in that time? Yeah. What's that? Like one thing? No, maybe. I reckon it's half a scene yeah, it's because a few it's, takes. it's like yeah, it's so it, the setups would be insane. That yeah, how long it would take things to set up a shot? Well, maybe that's why it's, it's like, like a shot a day, probably. Yeah, but you know, yeah. maybe that's why scenes take long. Like yeah. you know, they play out longer because it's like right, let's all get this done. Zendaya would host dance parties in her room for the cast in breaks from shooting and she has Polaroid photos of Hardia Bardem that she uses to blackmail everyone. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. I, everything I read, it seems like, and you know how you were saying, Alexi, that watching their rapport yep. on the... It feels like it was a fun shoot. Yeah. Like, it feels like everyone got along and everyone was excited to be part of Mm, this as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my final squid bit for you, which I just think is hilarious and beautiful, is Oscar Isaac, when asked how he bonded with Chalamet, referred to him as his sweet little baby boy and said, (laughs) I would just hold him a lot and stroke him. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. 
And uh, all those things just make me really enjoy the movie even more. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for breaking down Dune. What do you have coming up, Alexi? Um, you can head on over to uh, Total Reboot with me and Cameron James. It's a movie podcast where we kind of nowadays do interesting miniseries where we pick a topic yep. that we find fascinating and then talk about films that fit into it. What's the one you're recording at the moment? Uh, we have just taken a week break after doing uh, Adam and Drew miniseries about the romantic comedy of Adam Sandler oh and Drew Barrymore, Lord. which was like the most fun I've had in ages. <laughs> it was so fun. I think we're, tr- we're setting up a little Christmas miniseries, uh, Christmas with the Crooks. We're doing crime Christmas films. Yeah. So, Stuff like Catch Me If You Can in Bruges, that kind of thing. Cool. Oh yeah, that's a that's a that's yeah. a good mix. Uh, and Ben and I, we uh, we've already recorded the first Matrix one. We're mm-hmm. about yes. to embark on two and three. Yes. Wow! And, wow, the, wow, wow. Uh, and for the Patreon, we're going to do just, Animatrix. I are love we, Animatrix. Are we doing the whole movie? No, no, just, just the Second Renaissance, which I watched the other night and had a fucking emotional yeah, breakdown. I love Animatrix. Yeah, Animatrix is great. I had to specifically buy a certain DVD box set to get it. And um, then I like tore it apart. I also bought all the movies on 4K, and I just kept the disc of animation from that one and just plopped it in with the rest of them. It's a beautiful box set. I made set. a custom I'm... box set, basically. Was <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened. <laughs> All right, well, let's finish it there. And I have to say, I'm massively disappointed. I can't finish this podcast by letting off a massive brawling fart for you. But we'll leave it there. <laughs> to Alexi and Ben for joining me today and a big thank you to Timina for being our Patreon subscriber for the episode. If you'd like to have access to extra podcasts, scripts or just even have an episode dedicated to you, head over to the Patreon site and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you can find a tier that suits you. If money is tight and you know it's been a full-on couple of years and we are heading towards Christmas and I understand that that might just be a little bit too much for you at this point Uh, but there might be a part of you that still wants to contribute a top review on Apple Podcasts is really nice or just even a recommendation to any friends who are on our wavelength that's a great way to help out too or just keep listening that's also a great way to be a part of it so whatever suits you is fantastic so thank you Uh, a quick bonus story for you that we didn't get to in the main chat. Sometimes what you do is you, uh, I'll, I'll put together a script and then, you know, it's it's kind of got a structure, but then there's a lot of uh, going off on tangents, etc. We didn't get to this point uh, yesterday when we were recording, but uh, I thought I'd share it with you anyway. I had a really full on moment in this film when uh, there's a moment where you see missiles being fired from the ships and it's through the sand and the grit and the, and the very specific haze. And I had this very full-on flashback, a very full-on memory to when I toured Afghanistan and performed for the troops in 2013. And there was a moment when I watched from just outside my dorm in Tarankau as a helicopter fired red flares into the dusky mountains to make certain heat-seeking missiles couldn't find their way to the camp. And it was a moment that was terrifying. It was strangely beautiful And to be honest, it was too big to fully comprehend. Uh, It's a very specific memory, and it really got brought very much to the front of my consciousness while watching this film at uh, that certain point, sitting there in the extreme screen of, uh, of Sydney, 
Um, you know what? Maybe that's a story I'll tell you uh, in full another time. As always, we finish with a quote, and I had all of these quotes from Denis Villeneuve that I was going to share with you, some really brilliant quotes, uh, but then I found this one, and it's it's really simple, but it kind of speaks to a greater truth, and uh, that's why I wanted to share this one with you. Denis said, a long-standing dream of mine is to adapt Dune, but it's a long process to get the rights, and I don't think I will succeed. Isn't that just a great reminder to never stop dreaming, to never stop trying, because you just never know what is around the corner? Until then. being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.